Welcome to Ram and Sam back at it. The grind doesn't stop. You know, we had a little bit of a sugar high last week. You know, all the stuff stuffed in there. So now we're picking up the pieces of the huge explosion, a little off season here. I mean, it's kind of half off season for uh, the NBA too. Um, being in the middle of stuff, the all-star talk, you know, NFL is winding down. But that doesn't mean interesting things aren't going on. There's still stuff to talk about, as always. We've got a little bit of rapid fire to start off here. Um, first, big news coming out of Atlanta. Looks like Nate McMillan's all-star break is permanent. The Hawks are not taking him back. He is fired. I'm surprised they didn't do this earlier, Rem. Yeah, I mean this was a this was a long time coming. There have been I don't they're not even rumors or rumors at this point, you know, reports that there has been a lot of animosity growing between him and the Trey Young. And when your star player is not happy, your head coach is not happy. Somebody's gotta go. And I guess I guess Nate McMillan can keep the vacation rent. He can just turn it into a rental. He doesn't have to cancel like vacation booking. He can stay. And the question becomes for the Hawks you know now they're making moves as a franchise they go out obviously trade back trade the Luka Doncic pick trade back for Trey Young get the extra first round pick you know you're already making moves building the franchise around him at that point but now they're really like committing to him the way you do a modern superstar cater the franchise around him make moves around him and really if you're Atlanta you have to look at yourself and go is this the kind of superstar that we want to do this for? Is Trey Young the guy that we want to start sacrificing? I know Trey, I know Nate McMillan probably had to go at the end of the day. Anyways, it's probably a move that's best for the franchise. I mean, it's rumored that Quinn Snyder might get that job. And that just seems like an upgrade Quinn Snyder to Nate McMillan. But I mean, is Trey Young the guy you want to start catering your, your whole franchise to? He's iconic to the city, but now you're making like real moves. And going, hey, Trey, Trey Young, the franchise is all yours. Yeah, no, with uh, the Hawks lost the last four of their six games. You know, with Trey Young, there's always been issues of if he can lead a team, how good of a leader is he? He's supposed to, you know, now that they brought in DeJounte Murray, there's supposed to be a, you know, give and take, you know, a little bit of reason why Cam Reddish wasn't able to grow. He didn't get the ball as much. And now, like you mentioned, he's their franchise guy. And it kind of feels like, the Hawks realize they messed up with the Doncic trade, obviously, and they know that they messed up. So now it's kind of doubling down, being like, no, no, I was I was right. I, I you know, because punting on this guy, pretty much, you know, you're admitting that you gave up a generational star for, you know, what may be a decent point guard, you know, above starting level. Thing is, is Trey Young now getting most of the shots, you know, um, number one option on that team. His stats are going to be inflated, but when you really look at his ceiling, you know, that was a great year that they went to the conference finals, but, you know, they were facing again, like a Philly team that was in their own head and that went to seven and then Randall, you know, had uh, probably a historically bad series. And so they, I mean, things broke their way and yes, that was my team of the year. And even I didn't expect them to go that far, but you know, Trey Young has now, he's over this past year, has shown, he's continued to show the concerns people had about him. And I don't think it's changing anytime soon. And it's kind of sad for this team that I don't, I don't really see a way for them to really explode at, or continue to improve as Trey Young as their number one option. 
he has the same three point percentage right now he did in his rookie season 32.4%. And I mean, we all know where we were at with Trey Young coming out of summer league, coming out of his rookie season, the efficiency, the ball handling stuff. It's re emerging again. I get, you know, he's like, he's a 27 and 10 guy, elite number, elite numbers. He can get hot in the playoffs and carry a team because he did it, but his size, the defense stuff. Again, this is a good move. Hopefully they can get Quinn Snyder because he is a guy that just seems like he can work with these kind of like deep, switchy, athletic teams, like kind of what Utah was. Atlanta is that. So this is a coaching upgrade. But again, all the Trey Young superstar question marks are going to emerge. And the Trey Young offseason stuff is going to be really interesting, I think. Well, I guess I, I don't think. I mean, Chris Haynes reported earlier this year that there is potential that, you know, he may request a trade from Atlanta. So this is the beginning of the drama. It's only going to begin. And Quinn Snyder's back and the fr- he's back in the franchise. He leaves the Utah drama. He gets to insert himself right back into Utah drama. It'll be great going forward. Yeah, no. And it looks like some other options right now are Kenny Atkinson with the Warriors or Charles Lee with the Bucks. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Atkinson who turned down the Charlotte job if he didn't want another mess. But yeah, that's that's a little bit of uh, something to keep an eye on. Another thing is Curry um, suffering from his partial tears to his superior, uh, let's just say his ligaments. There's a contusion as well to his leg when he was colliding with the Mavs point guard, McKinley Wright, the fourth might be the most uh, notable thing he does. But the uh, with Curry, just him being reevaluated for another week. Um, it's just continuing to keep him out. And the last time earlier this season when Curry missed 11 games, the Warriors barely went above 500, um, going six and five. And Curry's already missed five games. And like, it's, I mean, if you're hoping for a Warriors repeat, if you put money down and especially with the KD trade, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious to say, but you know, it's, it's gotta be pretty worrying to see Curry out for even longer. 29 and 29 coming out of the all-star break 500. And if you're looking at a, around at the group right now, I mean, they're ninth in the Western conference, Minnesota's eighth with 31 wins. OKC is 10th with 28 Utah 11th with 29 Portland's 12th. The Lakers are 13th. Are any of those teams, is there any potential here with the injury? If there's a slide, because I think missing the play in would be aggressive with Steph, who is, maybe the second best player in the league when he's at his peak, fully going, fully healthy. But do we see any of these other teams going around? Minnesota, OKC, Utah. Utah and Portland to me seem like they're teams that are not going to be trending down, you know, going into the, the playoff, playoff push. But the Lakers, you know, LeBron is call, LeBron's calling this stretch the most important stretch of his career. So he's clearly motivated. They're retooling their roster and... Again, without without Steph, they're like a 500 team here. So I don't know. Are they going to miss the play-in game now that he's hurt? I mean, is it time to do, you know, hot take, first take? I mean, should the Warriors shut it down? I mean, like, you look – I mean, Jordan Poole hasn't given much confidence this year. Um, You know, maybe it was the dream one punch that, you know, shook the stardom out of him or something. But he's been off this year. Um, Definitely shown that, you know, he can't be the superstar guy, which, you know – it's kind of near impossible to follow up Curry. I mean, I guess it is impossible to follow up Curry and try to take that role. 
And obviously, you know, Wiggins, they, I mean, they have a lot of role pieces, role players, you know, I mean, if you want to have Clay continue to play games to get his legs underneath him, you know, that's great and all, but I mean, I guess Wiseman kind of traded, um, I, I don't know what shutting down would look for the Warriors, but with Curry out even longer now and the just how long it'll take for him to get back healthy. And it is less than half a season after the all-star break. I mean, yeah, 29, 29. That's uh, if I can do quick math, 58 games already played. So it's definitely, I, I personally think that, you know, the Warriors it's, you know, I don't, I don't see them making the plan. I don't know if that's a hot take, but I can see these other teams really pushing them out. Um, because the Lakers for sure are going to get their spot in there. And, you know, you mentioned Draymond. This is going to be important too for the Draymond contract push here at the end of the season because he's already kind of struggling to get that extension from the Warriors. Obviously, the offseason stuff doesn't help, but he is maximized and he just looks and feels at his best when Steph is on the floor because, I mean, he elevates Steph's game. So you really see his importance when Steph's out there. When he's not, I mean, you know, he it's not like he hasn't played well the last handful of games. He's nine points a game, nine rebounds, seven assists, and, you know, 59% from the field. So, yeah, he is still playing well, but, again, he is maximized. And if this team is still, like, under 500, this is, again, going to be long-term looking forward going, hey, is Draymond going to be a guy we want to give a lot of money to? So the Warriors, again, 500 without Steph, this is not good. Hopefully Poole can kick it into super drive and carry this team to the play in. And I could be totally wrong as there's like only four wins or four losses separating the third and ninth seed. But then again, there's like one. Yeah. There's two losses separating ninth and 13th. So it's really close right now. Really cutthroat. You know, I guess this is my uh, hot take right now. If, you know, if Curry doesn't come back a hundred percent healthy next week, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors don't make the play in. I mean, definitely with the teams under them, there's there's just so many teams that are going to be fighting for those playing spots. I could easily see the Jazz or the Lakers taking over. I mean, Thunder have continued to improve throughout the year, so it's it's not looking good for the Warriors right now. So tough, tough, tough look. Are you saying full Warriors rebuild in the offseason? Then they miss the play in, trade Clay, don't pay Draymond. Maybe is it Ray grow Curry? Kaminga or? Is it do do they build the team around Kaminga or do they trade him for assets? I mean, they can't they can't trade anyone. They gotta run it back. They gotta run this into the ground pretty much. You know, they try to do the whole light years ahead, you know, building two different timelines. And, you know, it right now, even though Kaminga does look like a solid rotation piece, you know, maybe an all-star, they definitely don't have any superstar cornerstone on their team. You know, even though pool looked exciting, it's definitely, you know, a lot of shine and nothing much there. So I, I think with this team, they just kind of got to keep running it back till Curry calls it quits. And once he retires, rebuild, because there's no way they could trade Curry. And there's no point in training Clay at that point. So might as well just keep the Splash Brothers and keep it rolling for now. But it is tough to see them go out like that. But, you know, they won a championship last year. So, you know, they can they, they can stop winning. He got his finals MVP. Exactly. Exactly. He got he got his crowning achievement. So yeah, they, they can't complain. Um, 
Then a uh, last piece of tidbit news: Jacques Vaughn gets extended to 2027 season. Looking like the Nets are a hundred percent all in with the rebuild with the team, which is what I love to see. It's I I'm happy for Jacques Vaughn and um yeah happy for this Nets rebuild because it's it could be they they could be much higher as we'll mention later with how weak the East is they could be very competitive even this year. Is there any way Simmons turns this around? Because I what what is better for him that Simmons turns around and plays well because he is perfect for this team. I mean it's all defense. Yeah. It's all shooting. It's kind of the team that we've always wanted to see Ben Simmons on. But if they do the thing, you know, it, it like we saw Ben Simmons coming to Brooklyn from the Sixers, and like you said last week, to pair him with, pair him up with Seth Curry again, throw some picks, go out there, get a star that is obviously you know better than Ben Simmons and upgrade, put him on that team. I mean, is there any life that Joff, Jock Vaughn can squeeze out of Ben Simmons? Well, I think their goal should be to squeeze whatever life they can get out of him before they trade him. Because I think once they can up his value enough to get something decent, maybe get some picks, then they should trade for him, continue to build this team. And at some point, one of these stars is going to try to bounce. I mean, they always do. You know, we'd be looking closely at that map situation. Who knows what blows up. And this imbalance the league has, you know, at some point, someone's going to want to switch over, you know, back to the East. So. I definitely think that, you know, right now, just keep what you got. Try to, you know, make Simmons look as shiny as possible. You know, shiny new toy. We'll have to see if they can get something great for him because I, I don't think long term, there's just been there's just been too many issues with Simmons for too many years now with the way just the way he approaches the game. And, you know, regardless of if there is, you know, physical issues or mental issues, you know, which you know, we all want to be cognizant of, you, you still got to take that into account when we're, you know, grading him because you can't, you can't just ignore that. I mean, the best, the best ability is availability. So it's definitely what teams are going to be putting into account when they're trying to trade for, or if, if the Nets try to trade him. So, I mean, they got to make him look great, which he hasn't been looking lately. I mean, even without KD, he's still averaging five, um six and five yeah five six and five each uh, <laughs> on 24 minutes so it's not looking good for him as a star and in this league if you're not hitting threes then what what are you doing like that's i mean even even i mean there's few barely five centers who are playing serious minutes who can't hit threes anymore so yeah it's it's a tough look for simmons right now it's funny that he fills up the box score, like even when he's playing bad. Because when he's playing good, he's like triple doubles every night. When he's playing poorly, I mean, he's still six, six, and six. You know, he's still yeah. getting numbers in every category. Still funny that you can see like the full Ben Simmons potential there. And again, like this is a team that he should succeed on. Cam Johnson, Bridges, they have the ball handling guards to sort of take the responsibility away. Like Dinwiddie's been in big playoff series had big moments on the Mavericks. So he knows that rotation. I guess he's done it in Brooklyn as well. Did it there with D'Angelo Russell. And with Giannis expected to miss time and with the East, well, we'll get to it later in the pod, but I mean, with the East just being like wide open and there's just being kind of an overall lack of superstar, like the depth of this Nets team. I mean, you know, there's like, could they make the playoffs, but 
I don't know, just night to night. I mean, we saw Miami last year was the one seed and their stars were in and out. Jimmy Butler wasn't around. And, you know, just every night it seemed like there was just a new rotation of guys out there. This Brooklyn Nets team with what the East looks like, like, I don't know if there's a reason that they would slide. And again, they just locked down Jacques Vaughn. So they're kind of committed to, I think, just kind of staying where they're at. I don't think at this point, again, it makes sense to tank because if you're tanking, you're going for Wembenyana and they're kind of just, obviously, I don't think they could tank hard enough at this point to get down to Wembenyana. So I actually see this team kind of staying consistent. Again, we'll get to the other players and the other stars that are left in the East. I think there are, there's a team or two that has a potential to make a charge just because I think that some other players could emerge. But I see that this, I think this Brooklyn Nets team could kind of just stay where they're at in the rankings right now because night to night with their depth, I think they're going to be able to be as competitive as the rest of the teams in the East. Yeah, and they have enough scores on that team that someone's going to be hot on that team. Someone's going to provide the scoring. And like you mentioned, I mean, they can just throw an all-forward line out there. And, I mean, in the middle of the season, it gets real tiring to go up against that, you know, time and time again. So they'll definitely pick up some wins. And I highly doubt any of these other teams below them will jump them. You know, the Pacers or the Magic might make a late run if you know their young guys are really trying but you know with Lonzo out the Bulls are pretty much done and you know the teams above them they haven't really made any huge changes I mean the Raptors you know they're they were looking to make a change but now they're kind of stuck and we just mentioned how the Hawks lost their coach so there's not really teams underneath them that are showing any much promise so they should be able to stay where they're at they know who they are and they got young guys who are willing to work so Right. And like you mentioned, with the East being as weak as it is, yeah, they should be just fine. So um, moving on to what did have all the stars this weekend, the all-star game, what Mike Malone calls the worst game of basketball. But, you know, it was still entertaining uh, for many reasons. The number one being, of course, if you're a longtime listener, you know, even three, listen to the last three pods. Yeah, no, my favorite player is Jason Tatum, and he put up history record 55 points in the game, 23 of 31 from the field, 10 of 18 from three, 10 rebounds, six assists. And yes, I know it's just an all-star game. They didn't really try. You know, I mean, it is a layup line. But hey, he made the shots, most points, and highest game score ever. 27 points in the third quarter is the most ever in an all-star game. And handing LeBron his first loss. Rem, first question, as always, what does this mean for LeBron's legacy? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, watching the game. uh, Tatum dunks on LeBron again. You know, LeBron tried to move out the way. He said, I'm not getting another career uh, highlight here. But, you know, I guess, you know, how much stock do we really put in this? Because, like, you know, we all know it's a layup line, but. It's got to mean something, right? Well, well, and Tatum was on my team, too. I mean, we did the all-star draft sure. last week. 55 points goes to me. Do you want to know what the score of our game would have been if the two teams we drafted oh, had played? Oh, wait, wait what, did, what was it? I kept track, counted it up, added up the scores, and Sam, it wasn't, it wasn't close. Team Rem slaughtered Team Sam 223 to 136 i had tatum 
as my top scorer with 55. I also had Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell had yeah, 40 points in this game. Just nobody's going to remember it because Tatum, 55 MVP. I also had Embiid. He had 32. Your top scores, Jalen Brown, 35. You know, Cook Tatum a couple times looked pretty nice. Kyrie with 32. Dame with 26. But obviously, Tatum shines bright. Like you said, 55 points in the All-Star game. And, you know, to just constantly be doing this stuff at his age, just to be racking up these different accolades. If you look at the other guys since 1980 to win the All-Star game MVP, you know, 24 years of age or younger, those guys are Isaiah Thomas, actually did it two times, Ralph Sampson, Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, Kobe, LeBron, KD, Kyrie, Anthony Davis. LeBron also did it twice. So nine guys there, 10 if you include Tatum. And there's just a couple similarities between all these guys. I mean, they're all top three picks, except for Kobe. And, you know, that's just because Kobe was coming out at a weird time because high schoolers making the leap. Nobody's really done that successfully since Moses. It's weird. And it wasn't really because of talent. I think if Kobe comes out now, you know, he's clearly a top draft pick, but weird time. All of these guys, though, go in the top of the draft. They have expectations coming into their careers. You know, they're clearly top talent guys. And all of these guys, like Tatum's a young guy, but all of these guys now at this point are or will be Hall of Famers. I mean, Ralph Sampson's in the Hall of Fame. Anthony Davis will probably be in the Hall of Fame. LeBron, KD, obviously. I say what you will about Kyrie. He had the championship, hit the shot. He will probably yeah, end up in the Hall of Fame. So I, all of these guys, again, great players. And all of these guys, with the exception of Ralph Sampson, have won the finals. And Ralph Sampson was in the finals. You know, six of these guys were finals MVPs. And the other ones, obviously, LeBron or Davis and Kyrie just because they play with LeBron is the reason they weren't the finals MVP. So I, these guys were all doing it at the highest level. So Tatum, it just, the league right now, we've we've talked about it time and time again, the young talent in the league. Tatum, I don't know what he has to keep doing to just be the top guy for like the 25 and under group. I mean, Doncic is obviously leading the league in scoring right there, but I the, the accolades and stuff, He's been in the finals. He's done it against the stars. He comes out in the all-star game where it's like the stars are on the court. Who's coming out tonight to prove a point. He comes out tonight to prove a point. It just seems like he just keeps doing things. Now where I get the talent Doncic, obviously again, leading the league in scoring 30 points a game. The offensive stuff is, you know, out of this world, but Tatum, it just, it seems like his resume at this point between him and Doncic, his resume is growing and he just keeps adding to it yeah well what was that stat for the for those players it was uh 24 and under guys to win the all-star mvp wow okay all right wow yeah no um definitely with tatum he definitely i mean he has a point to prove you know and it's it's very often especially with the whole the amount of turnovers he had in the finals there's even been more you know hate thrown to him this year um, whether he can take that actual leap into being a superstar. But I did want to defend my team real quick. Also, shout out to Mitchell, first ever player to have 40 and 10 assists and no other assists. 
sister, double assister, double digit assister has had 30 over more than 31 points. So uh, shout out to Mitchell Family, great team game. But I should have known. Look at the record. Doncic and Jokic do not try oh, in the yeah, All Star yeah, yeah. game. It's fair. Together, they put up eight points, 11 assists, and seven rebounds, shooting four or nine from the field and zero of four from the from three. And then I think Giannis only played like two minutes. Yeah, Giannis, you know, I think John he got Moran hurt. Had four, yeah, John Moran had like four points. You know, Kyrie actually had a pretty decent game as well as Lillard. So, you know, there is stuff here and there. But, yeah, I you know, it, it happens. We, we'll take the L. And, and we'll get to the rising star game in a, in a, in a sec, but y- you crushed me in the rising star game. So you, you got me back. It's fine. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, cause yeah, I had a whole, a whole day over. I, I guess I did have a lot of those winners. That's crazy. Yeah, no, but I definitely, I mean, I was a little bit surprised by uh, Jokic not having some stats. I thought, you know, it's an all-star seemed like it's his kind of thing, but for both of them, it just didn't seem that big a deal. And, you know, but shout out to uh, some, Low-key guys that went under the radar. Tyrese had 18 and 14 minutes. Um, his team, he was up, uh, outscored uh, Team LeBron, or Team LeBron's outscored Team Giannis when, by nine points with him on the floor. So they probably should have played him more often. Also, a shout-out to SGA. Um, he only missed one out of five. He was four or five from the field. And uh, Siakam, he had an efficient nine, 12, seven rebounds, four assists in 15 minutes. You know, Hero continuing to be cold, not surprising, you know, just in this game. But, uh, you know, and Lillard. Oh, yeah, Jalen Brown, another stat with his 35 points and 14 rebounds, was which was the most. I know you like this stat. The most since Timmy D had 15 in 2003. Kobe had 14 rebounds in 2011. And it seemed like Jalen Brown was the only guy actually trying on Team LeBron. Yeah. You know, the only one to actually keep up pressure. So, and especially, I think once, like with the All-Star game, there have been years he had it good, but with 17-point lead going into the fourth for Team Giannis and LeBron being out, it just, it felt so deflated. And it was like, well, what's the point of even watching this, which, you know, I don't know. You know, every year we talk about what can we do to make them try. But I, I think with these all-star and pro games, you know, they're, they're not going to try because they want to win the championship, not the all-star game. Like, I don't I don't really quite get the, oh, let's try to fix it because I don't, you know, I don't know if they ever will get fixed. This just seems like, I don't know if it's an issue. We'll call it a trend. It seems like a trend with, I don't know if it's our age, I don't know if it's our generation, but you just see it across all of these entertainment platforms, not even just sports. You see it in movies. You see it in TV. You see just like the crumbling of these institutions. You know, you see the things like the Oscars losing importance, the Emmys losing importance, just television, the prestige of like time slots, you know, all that stuff just doesn't matter anymore. It The NCAA if you just look at what that is going through, like that is just quickly losing importance and becoming irrelevant. And you just see it with something like the all-star game where I know like these, you know, institutions, obviously all this stuff has problems, reform, whatever. There are good things, but with that comes the, the loss of prestige, you know, the Oscars, that's best picture. That's the number one picture. Again, the Emmys and the Grammys, like best album, 
best artist. We did our complaint about uh, song of the year a couple episodes when the Grammys came out. And you've seen it in the All-Star game, especially just people no longer seem to care about prestige. You know, guys don't care about being an they don't really care about being an all-star. It seems like you watch guys and they don't want to be in the dunk contest. They don't, these rookies come into the rising star game and they just, they don't try in the rising star game. And I, again, I don't know if this is our generation. I just don't know if this is the world we live in now, but what, what is wrong with trying in the all-star game? Like the guys back in the day, they used to come out and play. You watch MJ at the end of his career on the wizards is bowling out in the all-star game. He cares. These things matter. The dunk contest, being the dunk contest champion was actually a cool thing. Like the dunk contest, these things are supposed to showcase like what is the best of the league. Like that's the point of All-Star Weekend. The game is supposed to have the best players because it's supposed to be the best game. The reason there is a dunk contest and a shooting contest is because, you know, athleticism and shooting are the premier skills in the league. And let's showcase the best of it. It's why they've tried to force a skills challenge in there every year because it's like, well, we need some ball handling stuff. We need some passing. Let's force people to do that. And, you know, people used to care about being the best at this kind of stuff, but you've seen them, you know, the all-star game, it doesn't even matter. I don't even know if things like, does all NBA even matter anymore? Kawhi Leonard just takes full seasons off. He doesn't care. He's nowhere to be seen. And, you know, they say it's, it's for winning titles. It's for you know, being healthy, but these, you know, it's can, how many times can I hit free agency? These guys are building their brands. You know, there's nothing wrong with making money with, you know, obviously you want, at the end of the day, you want to maximize, you know, your earning potential. It's a business, get as much money as you possibly can, but I don't know what's wrong with being in the dunk contest. Like, doesn't that matter anymore? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, do you remember last year's dunk champion? Last year's dunk champion. That last was that twelve month twelve months ago's dunk champion. Yeah, was it Simons? I I was thinking Anthony Simons too, but I, I think that was two years ago. Last year's was actually Obi Toppin. But you know, and not to not to slam you, like it's not supposed to slam you, but it's you know it doesn't because no one talks about it. Like after it happens, it's like okay, but like no one cares. Like when Obi Toppin gets traded, no one's like, oh well, he was the dunk champion and. You know, when Aaron Gordon got traded, they didn't throw in a couple more picks because he got more 50s. So, like, you know, it's because, you know, they t- players realize that teams don't value it. And, you know, with All-NBA, the only reason why anyone cares a little bit about it is because of the amount of money thrown onto contracts. But, you know, I'd love to see people try. But, you know, unless you get a, a ridiculous number of all-star appearances, you know, over double digits or, you know, multiple MVPs, you know, it doesn't, I mean, maybe with legacy stuff, it might matter. But at the end of the day, most of these players, you know, they know teams don't really value it. You know, there was that one Jamal Murray uh, rising stars game where I was like, whoa, what's going on? You know, so there are high moments, you know, there's definitely important moments. But, you know, with, with most of this stuff, most of the teams don't actually value it. And so the players don't. And it, it sucks, which, you know, they're not putting value back into their events, but. You know, it's tough. Also, clean up something. Tyler Hero, I was looking at my three-point notes. Tyler Hero was trashing that, not the All-Star game, because he's most definitely not an All-Star. No, I mean, that that's fair. I did forget about Obi Toppin's dunk contest performance, but, I, you know, I think that just goes to prove that it wasn't a memorable dunk contest. Obi Toppin is obviously, you know, not 
not to diss on Obi Toppin here. Not Obi Toppin doesn't need to be catching strays in our dunk contest conversation, but but you know, Obi Toppin is obviously not one of the stars of the league. You know, they're asking John Morant about the dunk contest in the press conference. He's just laughing it off. Like, I think it was important for Aaron Gordon that he won those dunk contests. Obviously, you know, there's not a dollar value, a pick value, an asset value that is assigned to it. But I think our perception of Aaron Gordon, I think, definitely changed. I think people view him higher. I think same with Zach Levine as well. I think, you know, I think he's ridden off that dunk contest performance for a while. And, you know, to compare it again to the Grammys that we just had a couple weeks ago, I think this has been one of the most important things for Jack Harlow, who we talked about a couple weeks, that he has actually done the industry stuff. He's done the promotional stuff. He's actually taken like that rise seriously. I think it's really separated him above his peers. I, you know, I don't think guys like Polo and Trippy, I don't think those guys like drop music for the industry. I don't know if they'll necess- the industry necessarily is looking at what they do compared to what Jack Harlow drops, but I do think that, you know, I the off mic moves that he's making, you know, the moves in the press, the moves that, you know, like you said, following the rules and I think that stuff has really separated him and I think again to go back to Tatum, I think it matters that he comes out and he drops 55 points. He comes out and he takes the all-star game seriously. I think it's mattered with Embiid the last couple of years. And if you look at the under 25 guys in the league right now, I think the top two are Tatum and Luka. Yeah, I, Ja, I think his athleticism, I think he has to be brought up. We both love Anthony Edwards. Zion, I think we, we both think he has the talent. Obviously, can he stay on the court? You know, Shea, is Shea like the new James Harden? 30-point-a-game guy maybe could take a team to the conference championship. Like, is that what Shea is? Tyrese Halliburton as, like, maybe the best young floor general in the league. When Ben Yavin is obviously coming, too. We can't forget about him. But right now, like, in the league, the 25 and under guys, it's Tatum, it's Luka, and is Tatum's sort of well-balanced game, the fact that he comes out, he plays offense, you know, he plays offense, he plays both sides of the ball, he tries on defense, and the fact that he can kind of assimilate to, to what Boston does, where, I mean, you've pointed this out, but where Jalen Brown's rise is directly tied to Tatum being comfortable with Brown and being comfortable with Brown's growth in that role, whereas you have Luka in Dallas and you have to tailor things to him, you know, obviously he's lacking on defense, the offense is going to be super specific. Maybe Boston has just been a way better situation. But again, with Tatum, he has the accolades. He has the sort of prestige that you and me always talk about and that we both love. And maybe the two-way well-roundedness to his game, maybe long-term, maybe that's more attractive than what Luka brings. I mean, it's definitely interesting, you know, thought experiment to take between the two. You know, with, I mean, Luca, what he does. I mean, it's picking, we're picking the slightest nits here. Exactly, exactly. Like what Luca does is historically good. It's just, I mean, he can't do that every night, especially now that he has Kyrie there. It is going to, you know, bring down some of his stats. And with Tatum, you know, especially like you mentioned this year, we've noticed, you know, how he's taken a step back, allowed, you know, the game to come to him instead of him forcing stuff, which is probably why he had so many turnovers last year. 
and allowing his running mate to take some of the load, which is why we've seen Jalen Brown really grow. So, you know, there's definitely – I think both of them, they, they both have to adapt to their basketball situations, you know, considering that but Luca, I mean, for once, just finally got a decent superstar – while Tatum, you know, he's had Brown, he's had some other guys, he's played with Kyrie for a bit, and then, you know, Brown's turned into a solid second option, and team is better around him, so, you know, he can actually trust his teammates, but it is, I mean, it is really close, I mean, Tatum is continuing to improve, and it'll be tough to see, I mean, it'll be, you know, it'll be tough to choose between the two if Tatum continues to you know, have these high peaks because, you know, and that's, that's another thing that has to be taken into account is that, you know, Doncic has a much harder road to the finals, a lot more hurdles to go over. So it's, there's a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of variables to be counted for in this thought experiment. But I think, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, it, it is definitely a mental win for him, a uh, mental win to, you know, see all these other guys and, know put himself at above them all you know scoring the most ever so um and you know it's always fun to see tatum celebrated so no no hate towards any of that but and i i think you know too it could just it kind of just comes down to the overall mentality of the player too where you have you know luca at times coming into the season struggling to stay in shape tatum is like a constantly in the gym guy constantly working we see him every year he comes out he grows he gets better i mean luca you know he's obviously not going for the all-star mvp but that's because he's checked out in the press conferences before you know what's the most exciting part what part are you looking forward to for all-star weekend and luca's like you know i can't wait for the trip to mexico like he's just you know he's tatum is just like a constantly on the grind type of guy and luca's knocking on the door last year with that conference finals run. I don't think that that can be underrated taking out the Phoenix Suns the way he did, but historically, you know, that's kind of the ceiling on that type of stuff. Again, Harden, like he was able to get a team right to the door, but could never quite get over the hump, could never quite get past the Warriors. So, you know, the type of player that Doncic is, it has a ceiling in the playoffs and the type of player that Tatum is, it it just doesn't. It doesn't historically those are the players that come through and those are the top players in the league you know all time whatever but there's just really no limit to what tatum brings there's no limit to there's no ceiling to that in the end i mean that's taking you all the way to the finals that's winning you to the title i mean and 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 they're super close to doing it against the warriors last year so i mean they're already right they're really close and especially with his Giannis injury you know, 76ers not really showing that top shelf level of uh, play. You know, it definitely seems like a pretty wide open road. And after the West slaughter each other, you know, because even even the first round matchups are going to be tough for the West. I mean, like we just mentioned, the playing game. I mean, LeBron's going to be, you know, probably playing the one seed, maybe the two seed. Like you're going to have to play LeBron in the first round. So, you know, no matter yeah, what the, team- the play in is going to be LeBron versus Steph. Exactly. Like we're going to, I mean, it's going to be cutthroat from the beginning to the end in the West and it won't be a cakewalk in the East, but you know, with the depth that the Celtics have, if they're able to push some of these through these, some of these teams, you know, get some rest and show up to the finals, you know, a lot more healthy and rested. It's, they're going to be a tough force to be reckoned with. 
And, you know, like, like you mentioned, it's always good to see the guy who's working out, always in shape, working on his game each year. And I don't know, you sound like the Tatum fan right now, trying to put him over Luca. You know, for Luca, he's just, you know, it's easier. Right now, we know that Luca has more talented. He is more talented, but, you know, Tatum is showing the, you know, principle that, you know, talent, you know, outwork or beats, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. There we go. We got the phrase out. But, it, I mean, it's true. And Doncic, we'll have to see. We know he has that competitor in him. But, you know, does he have it 24-7 in the offseason as well? You know, when it because those, you know, those hours matter almost as much as actually being on the court. So it's it's on him. It's on um, it's on each player, obviously. But, you know, it's on him to be disciplined. And right now it looks like definitely Tatum is more disciplined of the players and the fruits are showing now. So it's it's going to be fun. This playoff, see this playoff playoffs are it's going to be very interesting to see where we put players in all-time rankings because there's a lot of players legacies who are is going to matter in this playoffs i mean each year it does but you know Jokic with his first real chance at a ring kd with probably his last chance at a ring uh you know don actually gets his player to play with him you know does first Curry real have star teammate run? yeah exactly so I mean, you know, almost every team has a huge legacy thing here too, and only one of them can come out of there. So it's 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 going to be wild. But the All-Star Game wasn't the only event at the All-Star Weekend. Um, starting with the three-point contest, shout out to Dame Lillard. I had to clutch it out and went two of five near the end on the last, uh, I think one before the last rack. And then on the last rack had to hit four shots in a row to beat Buddy Heald by one point. Buddy Heald was about to get his second title, one one in 2020 in Chicago. And, you know, and this is where I was trying to mention that, you know, Hero as cold as always, just like in real life, probably why he is struggling, kind of ironic name there. Yeah, but shout out to Dame time. Made both of his deep threes. Yeah, I, it's nice to see uh, Veg get it. Plus hit the game winner in the All-Star game as well, too. Finished yeah. off Team LeBron for the first time in five years. And ever. again, with, again, with, or yeah, I mean, first time ever for Team LeBron. And again, with all this All-Star stuff, I think it is important that Dame comes out here and that he wins this. Now he has on his resume three-point contest champion because, you know, just going back and looking at this whole era, you know, when it's over, you know, 20, 30 years from now and we're looking back at it, Dame is obviously going to be remembered as just sort of the little brother to Steph. He was always, you know, he had the skill set of Steph. He had the heat check ability of Steph. Maybe, you know, he had the distance obviously the range he had a three-pointer in the all-star game where he pulled up from behind half court and just hit it casually yeah. like that actually was like insane that that is where the nba has gone that he pulled up in like jump shot form with like jump shot level effort on the shot from the half court line and hit it and if you just look at dame's last nine seasons when you know he's been pretty you know all-star level since he came into the league but Last nine seasons, really his scoring peak. He is sick, 26 and a half points a game, seven assists, 44% from the field, 
from three. And if you look at Steph's last nine seasons, 27 points a game, six assists, 47% from the field, 42% from three. Obviously, the difference is Steph, the last nine years, he has uh, four rings, one finals MVP. Dame has one conference championship. Again, Dame appearance. Al- he didn't win appearance. appearance. Yeah, yeah, one conference nah, sorry championship. Sorry, Dame fans, but it was it was just an appearance. Yeah, made it one time to the conference championship game, and again, had the little brother skill set skill set to Steph. So I just big picture with Dame. You know, he's thirty points a game this year. Been in the league for almost a decade. I don't know. You know what? How long will get the peak, Dame? What his window is is like as a top player in the league. Do you think maybe just in general with his skill set, do you think he is like a championship level guy? Do you think he ever was that? Because he had the range, had the heat check ability that Steph had. Seems like night to night he could just do everything that Steph could do on the on the basketball court. You know, but again, look at the percentages. Steph's 42, Dame's 37, and it bears out in all of the playoff stuff. You know, is it was Dame just like not quite was it just never quite enough or was it just the situation never came about i think it's a situation never came about when you look at curry in the playoffs you know again clutch time scorer knows when to close the game you know obviously there's that game seven with the Cavs as his one blemish but you know he consistently scores in this lap past finals they needed it from him but you know, when you really look at the raw stats, Dame is right up there with him. And something that Dame can have on his career, which, you know, may help him in his Hall of Fame case, because who knows if he makes a Hall of Fame, he'll probably end up in there. He's on the 75th anniversary team. Exactly. So he's he's snuck on there. Yeah, I, I didn't even know he was on there. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a lot for the Hall of Fame. Lillard, according to Game Score, had the best playoff game ever uh, with the 55 points against the Denver Nuggets and I think that kind of just is the that game was a microcosm of his whole playoff career where he did literally all he could everything he had to shoot shots I mean you know Jose Alvarado was praising the Lord the one time he missed and then they get a chance and he takes his, he he decides, okay, I need a rest because I've literally dragged this team all night, gives the ball up. And what happens? CJ McCollum steps out of bounds. And I know I've brought this up time and time again. And again, you know, Charles James, I'm sorry, man. You're not on my team right now, Pelicans, you know, carrying them right now. But I mean, it was just a lack of resources around him. I mean, there's, it's just, I mean, that was just the perfect example of, you know, he just never had quite the right team around him. Never really. I mean, Curry played with two other Hall of Famers. I mean, Sherlock Hall of Famers. There's, I mean, Clay is definitely going to get in there, and so is Draymond. And, you know, when you look at the teams that Dame had to deal with, I mean, Nurkic with his foul trouble, he's so infamous for it, especially in the playoffs, you know, and when he's healthy. And then you have CJ, who's, you know, off and on again, never really. I mean, no one's really arguing him for an all-star. Like he, he's a solid player, but not great player. And after that, like they had some interesting defenders, you know, Alfred Aminu, you know, you go back and look at that team, Myers Leonard, like there, there's some decent solid guys, but he really didn't have help ever. And 
it's just, I mean, it's sad because chances are Dame will get lost in the sands of time. Stats, you know, someone will look up his stats and be like, wow, did you know there's this guy, you know, named Lillard, you know, 50 years from now? But like we've mentioned before, someone's got to be Malone. Someone's got to be Stockton. You know, someone's got to be the guys who didn't win a ring. And he definitely had the talent. He definitely was a championship level player. He definitely put up the stats right up there with the top guys. But he just didn't have the team around him. And it's really sad at the end of the day. And, um, you know, he's and it's something we've talked about before. He's a guy who doesn't want to leave his team. He likes being the guy. So he's kind of chosen this path. And, you know, if that's what he wants and it looks like what he is, he's He's going to end his career this way with no rings and who knows, maybe not even a conference final appearance again. You know, his first three years in the league, he's playing with LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge is probably the best teammate he's had his entire career. Again, he only plays with him three seasons, made all NBA one time those three seasons, but kind of, you know, like lower level all-star 22 and 10. The other best teammates they had then were Wes Matthews, Nick Batum. Those are like, Solid role guys again. Steph's playing with Kevin Durant. Don't forget also yeah. Andre Andre Iguodala won the Finals MVP. So Andre Iguodala yeah. was balling out in those early years. And later Lillard, when they're making the conference finals, you know, like the last handful of seasons, the core of that team has been Lillard, McCollum. Obviously, is twenty points a game. Never made an All Star. Exactly. Nurkic is maybe the third best teammate he's had the last seven years. Nurkic has been on the Blazers for seven years, is 14 and a half points a game. He's like the third leading scorer over that stretch. The fourth leading scorer over that stretch is Carmelo Anthony, two seasons on the team, 14.3 points a game. He's 35, 36 years old. I mean, this is Carmelo Anthony at the end of his run. So, I mean, just go through the list of teammates with these guys and, I think, you know, obviously there's a clutch thing with Lillard that he had in the playoffs time and time again, hitting the biggest shots, elevating his game in the moment. I mean, he's out there at the end of this all-star game. He gets the ball at the end and hits the shot. I mean, Giannis was saying it before the game as well. Like, you know, Lillard time is at the end of the game. And, you know, the situation never materialized for him, never really had the team. And I don't, the percentages are going to be a little off, but I don't think it wasn't because you know, he couldn't get to the level that Steph could get to in the playoffs. And, you know, does it mean a little something more that he's actually done this and stuck with his team where you put him up against a guy like, you know, other stars from his era, like Paul George, you know, maybe even Kawhi as well, but may- maybe even go and put him up against a guy like Harden, who has the accolades, won an MVP in the league, but bounced around at the end of his career, kind of like, who knows if he was a locker room with what the Brooklyn situation, you know, who knows how toxic that actually was, but you know, does it mean a little something more that he stuck with the team in an era where guys weren't doing that, where guys were bouncing around. He was loyal. He stuck with it. He, he knows that this stuff matters to the fan base. He cares about the fans. Does that that mean a little extra in this era for his legacy? Because again, we like Dave, we don't want him to get lost. Does he get a little extra legacy bump from that? I mean, a little bit, you know, it, it's nice. It's one of those things where, you know, it makes you feel good. It's, you know, nice to mention it. But, like, you know, no one's going to remember that. Like, if we're being real, 
99% of fans outside of Bill Simmons and, you know, maybe three historians are going to really remember that. Oh, he didn't ever left his team, you know, but Curry also did not So like, it, it's going to be tough, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we only really remember guys with rings going back to a little bit of that earlier talk we were mentioning with the all-star game. It's, you know, if you didn't put up rings, I mean, the stats are nice. And, you know, it'll be a nice little tidbit of, oh, who has the best game score, you know, in playoff history. But beyond that, it, it's tough. And what hurt even more, speaking of the Warriors, is that in that conference finals, I, I remember even watching it right now off the top of my head, is that I think they went into each fourth quarter leading the game or they were leading the game some point on the Warriors. And the Warriors just won each one. I mean, they swept them in four. It hurt. It hurt to watch. I don't think KD was on that team at that point. And KD was just, on you know, the team, but KD was hurt. He was, yeah, he was hurt. So he was out. Yeah, I think they beat him without. Yeah, they beat him without Kurt, KD. And I think yeah, at that point they just had it was just yeah, just the four. And I mean, even their bench was a little little suspect at that point. I mean, yeah, they were dealing with Bogut. I think. Oh yeah, Demarcus Cousins. Yeah, that was the huge team. But anyway. Pretty much, you know, it it was really tough to watch, you know, dumb. I mean, Dame recognized the moment. He probably knew it was his only chance. And, you know, for them to give up every single game, it just it kind of just closed the book on who was better. And, um, I mean, they had that head-to-head matchup. Dame had his chance. And, you know, it's not like he played horribly. I think he – I mean, the thing is, is he didn't really play great in that series. For his standards, he only had 22, 8, and 4, you know, shot from 36% from the field, 37, or 37 from the field, 36 from 3, and 88 from free throw. And he already had a tough game 7. CJ had to bail him out of there with 37 points to uh, fend off Denver in the series beforehand. So pretty much, you know, Dame had a shot. He messed up. I mean, that's it. I mean, if he wants to win a ring, he knows what he's got to do. You got to leave. You got a ring chase and it doesn't look like it. So it's kind of kind of sad. But that, and with the league, how shifted it is and stacked it is that that's the only option he's got. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, that is the defining series between the two guys. Again, with no Durant on the floor as well. And I think there's a couple of blowouts, too. So, you know, the game yeah. got out of hand. But you, you again, you could make the supporting you could make the supporting cast case there again because he's playing with Nurkic, playing with McCollum. But where is he at right now? Like, if you're trying to win a championship, you're bringing Lillard in. I don't know if he ever leaves Portland, but maybe they're maybe the assets continue to grow and Sharp and Simons and something else. They go get another star. Do we still think he could do the Steph thing in the playoffs where the shooting, all that? Is he like a number one in the playoffs still? Because this season is like offensively, statistically, the best season he's had. He's 30 plus points a game this year, but do they need to go get another like a tier level guy to bring it? Where does he stand if you're trying to win the finals? Is he a two guy right now? Yeah, I mean, he it was a little bit of a roller coaster season because, you know, I have a friend who's really good, big fan of the uh, Trailblazers, and he kept mentioning how. Lillard's shooting percentages were looking like concert dates out here, you know, four of 10, 28, you know, three of 10, you know, just really rough shooting, um, shooting nights. And he has really started to turn it on later in the year. 
Uh, and it's just, it's, it's kind of tough to, to know whether it, you know, is, is he going to keep it up? Um, you know, obviously the trailblazers are going to try to make a push for it. So, I mean, I, I think he could still be the number one scoring option. Um, you still need, I still think you still need like someone else who can be pretty close to his level, you know, another all-star with him, probably, you know, lower or even a higher quality all-star, but he's definitely with his older age, it, it's getting there. It's getting there. Cause I mean, I, and it might be similar to the way Curry was this past finals where, you know, you do have him there to score, still show up, but you know, Wiggins it was the real game changer you know, him stepping up to an all-star level in the game, in the in the finals, you know, pretty much putting up 18 and five, showing up big time, shutting down other guys. So, yeah, the chances are you probably need someone like that with some upside on your team as well. But, I mean, I could see him still being number one on a championship team. And, you know, this team, like not right now, but the ceiling of the guys that they have may be the highest ceiling supporting cast He's had again, Aldridge was, you know, all NBA guy made all made the all-star team all three years that he played with Lillard. A lot of that was because he played with Lillard Lillard sneakily seven assists a game the last decade. So like kind of sneaky, good playmaker, but sharp this year, Simons as a scorer. I think those two guys alone, I think those, those two guys ceilings, I think could be the best teammates that he's ever played with. Who knows what they do with Graham, but. He is, I think he's still a couple years younger than Steph at this point. And it feels like, you know, on the superstar path in people's minds, it feels like I think Dame is a little farther down that path than Steph is. But I think these guys are still like kind of in the same spot of their careers. Again, he's pulling up from half court in an NBA game. Like I think the skill level, like we I've said that Curry is shot making is the best it's ever been. And you know, offensively, he's still as good as he's ever been. He's still as effective as he's ever been, you know, still in his mid-30s. I don't think Dame, I still think Dame is top-level effectiveness with his offensive game. And I do really kind of like the supporting cast. And, you know, it's young. It may take a couple years to develop. Hopefully the timelines kind of all line up. But the ceiling of, you know, his teammates, but specifically, you know, Simon's, and Shaden Sharp. I think those are the two highest ceiling guys he's ever played with. Yeah, I, yeah, Simons. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I will admit, you know, I, I kind of missed the boat with Simons, you know. I And it was interesting a little bit of last year looking at, you know, the advanced stats where he's taking more shots and he's still more efficient. And so seeing him um, continue to improve this year is a really big, great sign for the Trailblazers, you know, he's out right now. And Shaden Sharp as well, like you mentioned, is probably their next guy. And But I do think that they do have players right now who can contribute, like we mentioned, you know, for that Wiggins role where you have Jeremy Grant. Um, you know, if they were really making a championship run, if they really wanted to try, I'd, I'd probably try to upgrade to that Nurkic spot because that's a yikes. But, you know, they're with Cam Reddish in there. I mean, maybe they could see what could happen, you know. Kevin Knox. They, I mean, they got some interesting young players, especially with trading for Matisse Thibel. You know, he'll be getting a lot of games. Uh, you know, I, I personally like Keon Johnson in, in college. You know, they, they have some interesting young guys. They do have some guys who are producing right now. Um, but it's just, 
with how stacked the West is, and, you know, I know we keep going back to it, but, you know, the competition is LeBron, you know, and AD. And, you know, you'll look around down there near the near the bottom. I mean, we were just talking about the Warriors, you know, so you have Curry fighting for those spots. Uh, let's see real quick. Uh, just some other stars that they're fighting with. I mean, with the Jazz, they're, they're rolling right now. They know what they're doing. They're playing with house money for them. And, you know, once you start going above there, you start having teams with multiple stars. So, Jay. I mean, it, it, I mean, if he was in the East, I could definitely see him make maybe a second round, third round, of, I mean, the conference finals, if they were really clicking. But in the West, I mean, they're going to have to scrap and fight just to make the playoffs. And the thing about, like, making the play-in game, like, being in that play-in game race, like, you can get the playoff spot, but in the draft, your draft standings are the regular season standings. So, you know, if you're the 10 seed or whatever, you win your games, you stumble into the playoffs. Like, you're still drafting, you know, with those lottery-type odds. So I think Portland right now sits with, like, the 10th pick in the draft. So they'll kind of be up. You know, they're still, like, hovering around that play-in race. But either way, they'll be in the draft where, yeah, they're not a Wan Banyana team, but they'll get another, you know, athletic guy, They've gravitated toward the super explosive, you know, Shaden Sharp. You mentioned Keon Johnson's another guy that just go back and look at his combine, like super explosive athlete. So they're going to get another young guy in here. And again, if Dame, you know, has a couple more seasons here, they'll just need some exponential growth from some of these guys. But if these timelines can match up, I do, again, really like this team and I like where it can continue to grow. And maybe they should lock down Grant long-term, I guess, is Billups is probably the biggest question mark hanging over this team right now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Whether yeah. he can be a legit coach. I mean, they already have issues with him being in the city uh, for past stuff. And, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, so far they seem fine with him. So, but, you know, they're right now two spots out of the playing games. And, yeah, it's those those two last two spots of the playing games are going to be really highly contested these next couple weeks so yeah this this mock right now has a uh, grady dick kansas guy to oh, portland shooter number 10 shooter. that's kind of yeah. nice yeah no that's that'd be a great pickup for them that'd be a big guy big tall guy so we'll know who knows i mean he's he's a good shooter and I, you know i haven't been watching too much kansas basketball i think it's been mostly Jalen wilson who started to take more over the reins but yeah we'll have to we'll have to see if you can pick up grady dick so uh, another player bursting onto the scene or all-star game. Mac McClung wins the wins what pretty much it feels what God created him to do. And that's to dunk ever since high school. I feel like I was watching him in middle school yamming on some kids. And finally he gets his moment to shine. Finally in the league. Even if he was in G League, they were gonna have him play. I think he ended up playing with the G League. Um, team for the Rising Stars. I think a two-way contract with the 76ers comes out and gets what should have been a perfect night. Looking at you, Lisa Moore, taking away the... or Not Lisa Moore. I don't know why I said that. Uh, Lisa Leslie. Don't want to get it mixed up. Lisa Leslie gave a 49 on the windmill two-handed 360 dunk. I guess that wasn't enough. But uh, yeah, I think I think you know. Shout out to uh, Trey Murphy. I did really like that uh, dunk uh, idea with Alvarado. I thought that was the most creative dunk. But um, McClung definitely deserved it. 
And he comes out of like a vein of guys that the league, you know, like these G League type guys that the league puts in there specifically to win the dunk contest. Jeremy Evans in the past, Derek Jones Jr., you know, just in the league for the dunk contest. McClung had like an actual level of creativity to his dunks. Like these were legitimately like, you know, some of the best dunks that we've had in the dunk contest in recent memory, like just real creative. Again, like you said, should have been perfect 50s across the board. I think only nine guys too as well. NBA had the video. Only nine guys have had three 50s in the same dunk contest. I mean, it's like Vince Carter. It's like all the best dunk contests ever. Jason Richardson, <laughs> Mac McClung, like sneakily in the dunk contest. And, you know, at Georgetown, he had more shots than he had points. He had, you know, he had a good career, averaged 13 mm-hmm. points a game, but 1,160 points in his career, almost 1,300 shots in his career. That's field goals and free throws. But shout out to Mac McClung that he has his moment. And I mean, you're right. There are, there is, there are some of us that know that watched the ball is life back in the day that have been tracking Mac McClung's rise and it's actually kind of crazy that he won the dunk contest because like he's a three-star guy had more hype because of those videos than he was actually good and the fact that he did like the highest level he reached the highest level that a dunker can actually reach big shout out to mac mcclung can we get the rights the disney plus mac mcclung movie Remin sam I, we want the rights to the mac no. mcclung movie we gotta fight him we got our arm wrestle on board you know, and, uh, you know, with the dunk contest, it's always, you know, there's there's people who are going to come in and say, you know, it's because he's short that it looks cooler or stuff like that. But it, it was really crazy. It was a great, I mean, a lot of them, like you mentioned, were really creative. And, you know, is he uh, the best white dunker ever? Better than Blake Griffin? I mean, who, who, what names do we start naming out? You know, it's, it's definitely been a while since we had a, a great one in the, uh, in the dunk champion dunk. Yeah, dunk I think contest. Brent, what Brent Barry is the only white guy to win the dunk contest. So Mac McClung, there you go. much better dunker than Brent Barry. There you go. He got the crown. Be- best white dunker in NBA history. There you go. The Rem and Sam, we can ship you Chambers. The Who? Tom Chambers. Oh, okay. All right. From the 90s, I think he was sneaky athlete. I'm trying to think who are the other most athletic white guys in NBA history. I, Manu has some of the most like iconic dunks. He has the dunk on Bosch in That's the true. finals, but I don't think like athlete dunk yeah. contest level dunker. Manu's obviously not getting that, but I mean, even in the league right now, I don't think there's anybody else that's like white dunker. I can't really think of anybody. I'm trying to think in NBA history. Was was Andre Kirilenko dunking on guys? AK AK forty seven, right? That was the nickname. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not hundred percent, but yeah, Tom Chambers was in the dunk contest nineteen eighty seven. Um, seems like it cannot quite tell if he won, but he was in there. He um, did he win the contest? Let's find out. Uh, doesn't look like it. No, he was eliminated in his first round and the only appearance. So, uh, you know he. His contributions, the, the the sentence does say his contributions to the encyclopedia of dunks should not be dismissed, and we won't. But, you know, there we go. We gave, we figured out that, uh, yeah, Mac McClung, 
what a legend. And, you know, it, it's kind of uh, might be the only time we ever see him in a big moment on TV, but it's nice to see him finally get a shine after all that um, play. Did Kiki Vandeway have hops? How do you spell that last name? Vander Vandeway? I don't know. I don't think he did. Invented yeah. the step back, though. He, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely got some step back highlights. I'm not seeing a lot of dunk stuff, though. Oh, he dunked on Tom Chambers. Wow, is that is that what a crime? crime? Well, yeah, why don't I? <laughs> Yikes, that's crazy. Here we get. Yeah, that's a pretty good dunk too. But yeah, anyway, uh, before we just start watching clips here, um, but yeah, shout out to Trey Murphy. I I thought he should have gotten more love, but um, you know, it it be like that, and um, yeah, it, but you know, shout out to Matt McClung. Check your mail. You're going to get you – know, we'll see. We might have to see if we can dig up a plaque for you. But It's the on the way. Trophy's on the way. Yep. Your second trophy to put on the shelf. The best white dunker in NBA history. When somebody else comes along, does he have to ship it off to them? Who knows? To give I mean, it up? We, we can figure it out. We can figure it out. I'm not 100% sure. We'll do it like since 2023, Art. It's oh, harder yeah. to break than the points record. <laughs> well – Time to move on to the rising stars. I felt like I dominated the all-star draft and I felt like you dominated the rising star draft, but it actually flipped. Team Powell was dominating, but the one player on the other team that they faced in the finals, um, in the in the final, because they had uh, two games, um, their only player who was actually scoring was... Quentin Grimes, who was my very last pick, Mr. Irrelevant, shows up in the last game. Um, He had 14 points. The rest of the team had six. No one scoring more than two. And Ram, I mean, I guess I guess I picked Jose Alvarado. He was my third to last pick. Quentin Grimes. I mean, my last, my last three guys, you know, we could throw out Jabari Smith. So two of my last three guys pretty much carried my team, which I don't think either of us saw, you know, Grimes coming out and dominating, you know, for his team. And I don't think either of us realized how smart taking Trey Murphy second overall in the draft was because he was your third leading scorer. If you take everybody's best performances, he was your third leading scorer with nine points. Quentin Grimes, by the way, too, snubbed from the MVP. Alvarado takes the MVP. They win the game, you know, has the game winner. All that, but only five points in the final game. Quentin Grimes, 13 points in the first game, 14 points in the second game. So carrying his team should have been in the game. I felt more confident in my Franz Wagner, Evan Mobley, Josh Giddy, Paolo Bancaro lineup, but none of those guys got to double digits. I think Wagner put up a zero as well. So Overall disappointing. Shout out to Quentin Grimes. Should have been MVP. All the Knicks guys getting snubbed this time of year. And uh, yeah, Barnes had some pretty good moments. He had some big dunks. Watching back, it was kind of wild, you know. Ben had some interesting moments, you know, Jaden Ivey. I I was kind of interested that Jalen Smith, or not Jalen Smith, Jalen Green didn't really show much in the game. I thought he would try a little more and put up some points, but I guess he was too cool. And, you know, Nemhard, but... Jose Alvarado steals the weekend uh, doing a, a bet with Donovan Mitchell about him hitting the last shot. 
You know, he just felt like the old guy on campus and he was living it. I mean, he knew this was his moment to shine and he was completely in it. And, you know, that last three wasn't easy. I mean, it was on the move. I mean, and he drained it. So, you know, shout out to GTA, um, you know, enjoying his time in the sun, just like Mac McClung. And um, yeah, get, it was it was kind of funny seeing a 23 year old out there. It's not 24, I think. Oh, 24. And I think. Maybe- Duarte was in the game last year. He was 24 as well. So there's always got to be one old guy hanging out. Yeah. Should we power rank quickly? Who are like the most luck? Who are the guys that are like most fortunate to be at all-star weekend? Cause I think there's a clear, clear number one. I don't even think, you know, you're going to realize who the clear number one is, but, oh. but Alvarado's Alvarado is up there. Uh, you know, Nemhard, maybe Nemhard's up there. He, I mean, he had some game-winning shots, though. Over, I think they were saying, like, over Curry, over – I can't remember who else. But there was a couple game-winning shots. Uh, Jalen Duran had a rough weekend. Yeah, Duran. Quentin Grimes, again, like, Quentin Grimes dominating, you know, having a moment. You know, maybe maybe he's the most fortunate to be there. Yeah. Sohan. Uh, do we, do we think oh, Sohan will be back. <laughs> no hate towards your guy, but uh, that wasn't nice. De'Aaron Fox had a rough – Rough weekend, too. Uh, but who's your clear number one? Who is the luckiest player to be at the All-Star Weekend? Well, the the skills challenge, again, has been an abominable contest for a couple years now. And they've been doing the teams. They've been trying to get cute. One of the teams is Team, team Anstikumpo. So, I mean, oh, put, here it comes. Both, both of the Anstikumpo's brothers, honestly, put them one and two. Alex Antetokounmpo, number one. The Nassis, number two. The Nassis, though, I think he carried in the shooting contest. He was the only person to hit a shot. I think he hit the deep one, too. Hit the five-pointer. So, actually on an NBA team, too. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the Nassis. Hype guy on the sidelines. But Alex Antetokounmpo, clear number one. I mean, on the court at All-Star Weekend. Unbelievable that he's unbelievable. He's walking around there with the jersey on. With the jersey on. He said... Shouldn't you be on the bench? No, I mean, that is true. That is true. The NASA's, is, I, you know, I kind of like the, you know, 2.5 seconds he's on the court, you know, for the Bucks. You can at least see him running around. And, uh, you know, maybe we could see him all three on a court in the NBA with the little brother being on the herd. But, yeah, Alex is clearly the luckiest one to be there. And, you know, him averaging 4.6 points two rebounds in the G league. Um, yeah, it might be a minute before we see him. He, he, I mean, this year he's playing, he's playing more time. He's got 20 minutes. Um, and that's his major stat. Only 27% from three. Eesh. Okay. Anyhow, this is, this is turning into poor Alex slander and double a here, but, um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, uh, you know, um, did you watch any Kenny Lofton highlights though? I, I heard he uh didn't really see any too many highlights from him, but I think he played decent though. Did Kenny Lofton ball out? Kenny Lofton on team rem. I know Scoot kind of had a rough day as well, too. Didn't shoot didn't shoot the ball great. Only yeah. only put up four points. Again, I only had two guys score over five. Palo got nine, Mobley got eight. Everybody else, uh nobody else showed up for team rem. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, I felt dumb for taking Jaden Ivey. I'm not going to lie. But even he he was playing a little bit. So, 
Hey, you know, it happens to the best of us. I thought I was going to destroy an all-star. You thought you had rising stars, but it flipped. So all's well, that ends well. And um, well, next year when Sohan is the number one overall pick, we'll be back stronger than ever. There you go. When he's when he's ready to absolutely thrash anyone who pulls up in rising stars, just just um, dominate. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, something that's not turning out as well is the East and the competition in the East. We've seen the trades, you know, we've reacted to the trades and now time to really do a little bit of a deep dive into the effects of pretty much the exit from the East. Oh, that's maybe a catchphrase. Is that the title exit from the East? But we got to do a little bit of a draft to pretty much put into perspective how few stars are really on the east side of the country. Um, we decided to take out the top. Well, I decided because it made this um, um, thing. But anyway, decided to take out the top two scoring options on the top three teams um, in the east right now. It's the Celtics, Bucks, and the 76ers, which, you know, are the best three teams in the east. So we're taking out Tatum, Brown, Giannis, Chris, and Beaton Harden. We're putting all the other players in a huge draft hole and we're going to draft them. I sprung this idea on Rem about like an hour before, you know, 30 minutes before the pod. So he's coming out with pretty much gut gut check. I got a little list here. We got a little draft board, but um, we'll see how many picks we get to before we get back to one of those three teams. Cause I, I didn't get beyond 10. I, I'll spoil it right now. I didn't get beyond like nine or 10. So uh, we'll see what you got, Rem. But I'll let you go first since I decided to spring this on you. Yeah, and and just, again, the guys off the board are Giannis and Chris Middleton. Tatum and Brown are both off the board, and Harden and Embiid are both off the board. And just specifically Giannis, Tatum, and Embiid, those three guys clearly, and I think, you know, we're going to see it in the playoff race. We're going to see it in the stretch run of the season. We're going to see it here as we go through the list of guys. But those three guys just clearly being at the top of the Eastern Conference, like this is what it's going to come down to. The tier separation now that is in the East, because I mean, just look at the starting lineup for the Eastern Conference in the All-Star this year. It's those three guys, and then Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Kyrie, well, I guess Embiid uh, in for Kevin Durant, but should have been those three guys and Kevin Durant, and then maybe make the case for Kyrie Irving. Those two guys are now in the West, like, who is realistically left in the East to be the stars? Again, the top three guys are Giannis, Tatum, and Embiid. But if we're trying to fill out, you know, who are the fourth, fifth guys, who are the fourth and fifth best guys in the Eastern Conference? Like, what is the rest of the landscape of the East look like? Like, who are the remaining stars? So I have the first pick in the draft, and I think there's a clear number one. I think it combines a little bit. You know, it, do we want to lean more toward this season and into the future or what have got, what have guys done up until this point? But I think for the first pick, I think there's a guy that kind of has both. I think if we're just looking again at the prestige, who has had the runs, who has done it in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference the last couple of seasons, the first pick off the board and arguably the fourth best player in the Eastern Conference right now, I think has to be Jimmy Butler. Oh, oh, you got me. You got me. 
he is 21 points a game right now, almost 22 points a game, six assists or six rebounds, five assists. You know, the numbers for Butler, they are what they are. But in the playoffs, the last three seasons, 42 games played, he is 23, seven and five and a half sips, five and a half assists a game. So and been in two of the two of the last three conference championship games as well. So, again, the playoff runs. He's done it in the past, you know, making it that deep in the playoffs the last couple of years. And we've seen him do it in the finals as well, too. The 40 point triple doubles, all that. So looking at where the Eastern Conference is at right now, I think it's kind of clear cut that Jimmy Butler is the fourth guy. And maybe that means something for Miami, because, again, they were the one seed last year. They were at the top of the Eastern Conference. They haven't been that in the regular season, but. If we're looking in the playoffs, who are the playoffs got? Who are the playoff guys? I mean, Jimmy Butler is maybe the fourth guy. No, you're right. You're right. You are correct. The fourth, I mean, he is when the playoffs come around, Jimmy Buckets is there to show up. But the thing is, is that I'm picking players for the whole season and the playoffs, you know, and like, you know, Jimmy Butler, I don't even have him as the number one guy from his own team. Um, Looking at this past season, Jimmy Butler, he's in and out. He has a lot of injury issues. And if he's not hitting certain shots, you're just done. You're like, he'll try on defense. He'll try stuff. His athleticism isn't there as much, you know, his peaks are probably the highest, you know, we've seen, you know, I, I'm not. In fact, I wouldn't even say that. I, it's, it's, I wouldn't even say that over top of my first number one guy who I'm obviously taking next, but he has taken the deepest runs. His, he has the best resume. That's the point. He has the best yes, resume yes. out of anyone else in the league. Clearly he does very much have the best resume, but I do not think he's the most t- talented guy right now in the East. And um, not even on his own team because, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, this year, at least for this year, what we've seen lately, I, I think that, you know, Bam makes a bigger swing. When you look at that Celtic series, when Bam was scoring, I mean, they were they were almost blowing out the Celtics when he was actually could score and he was a problem in the paint. And that two-wayness, you know, Butler doesn't have it on that same level. And when Butler isn't hitting his shots, it's it's over. Like, it's he doesn't really get to the line. He doesn't have that athleticism. Anyway, not to beat a dead horse. But my number one pick, I was kind of surprised you didn't pick him. I got to go with a new kid on the block in the East. That's where I knew you were going different when you said runs in the East. I said, what? Because we got to go with a certain Donovan Mitchell. I think what he's done with the Cavs. His scoring, just the peaks he's risen to this year, how consistent he's been. He's been out a little bit just now with pieces around him. And why I'd argue, I think he's had higher peaks than Jimmy Butler in recent memory with the bubble. Um, Him going blow for blow with Jamal Murray. Um, He's had some really close series in the West, and now he's in the East um, with arguably a better team. Um, Darius Garland has really, you know, risen this next cult this year. And, you know, he almost crapped my top 10 here. I think, I, I think Garland is on my top 10 actually, but um, he's definitely, uh, I think he'll definitely be the maybe, you know, hot tag. He might be the surprise guy this year. Um, He might make a surprise run. Maybe probably, I mean, if there's any team that's going to knock off one of the top three, he's going to be probably the main reason for it. Unless, you know, the heat, unless Butler, you know, goes crazy here with the heat but 
Um, I think he's been the most consistent guy, and he's the reason they're fourth, right? I think they're fourth in the East. And his just electric yeah. scoring ability, head-to-head, if they were to play the Heat in like a playoff matchup, both of those teams are obviously defensive teams, but if Mitchell's just 30 points a night like he has been in the playoffs for his career, that might be too much. That might just be better than what Butler brings to the Heat. But again, Butler has done it in the playoffs, elevated his game. And if we're being true to the board here, you know, kind of like you were saying after my Butler pick, but if we're picking, because I'm I'm torn now between my head and my heart. I'm sure you can see where the board's going. I'm sure you know which guys I want to get. But if we're being true to the board, like who are actually the best players if we're trying to make this list look right? The reason that like a head-to-head playoff matchup would be tough between the Cavs and the Heat is because the Heat would have maybe one of the other top five players in the conference, like you were saying, in Bam Adebayo, who I think just has to be my next pick here. Again, if we're trying to make this list properly, you could argue that Butler and Bam, those two guys are, you know, take that fourth and fifth spot for best guys in the conference, which I think, again, are going to make the Heat a scary team in the playoffs, having both of those guys. Bam is over 20 points a game now this year. Maybe the best big man defender in the conference as well. Mobley and Bede, those guys would argue that. Claxton, the upside that he has shown, but... Bam's two-way upside, the fact that his offensive game continues to grow. I think if we're just trying to make the best list, which I will make the sacrifice and do, Bam out of bio will be the next pick. Yeah, and the thing with Bam is he's not a sneak, you know, it's not a flashy pick. His style of play is very grinded out. But, you know, he's been a solid guy for the team, you know, kind of doing it on his own with, you know, changing pieces around him. And he's improved every year. And uh, he had a tough, you know, series against the Celtics last year. Not really as aggressive, but he'll get another shot at it. And like you mentioned, if there, there'll be the upset team. I think there'll be everyone's pick to be an upset team. Um, I think people shouldn't sleep on the Cavs. Yeah. But Mobley has shown some struggles this year. And I think that's the reason why the Heat would be a better pick to upset one of these teams. So, yeah, op- offensively, Bam is ahead of Mobley right now. Mm-hmm. Defensively, it's neck and neck and Mobley might even be better. I think Mobley leads the league in defensive win shares, but Bam offensively right now this year going into the playoffs, he's just ahead of Mobley. I think they would have the advantage. And I think, yeah, that elevates Bam into this spot. Now we're starting to get into a little bit of the two. Do you start picking two-way players? Do you start picking scorers? You have to start making decisions. Because I'll expose my board. Right now, I'm kind of, there's a cluster of three guys we're stuck at. And that'd be Drew Holiday, Darius Garland, and Jalen Brunson. They're kind of they're kind of the three. Randall and Young are kind of like the take too many shots and not really great guys. And so out of those three, I you know a playoff series, of course, I'd take Drew Holiday. But if I'm building a team right now, I you know I like Jalen Brunson's recent run, and like we've mentioned, he's been great the past month. But what Darius Garland is doing, um, seeing him in person, you know, I, you know, was great as well. But um, his late game situations, just how smart he is with the ball. And, you know, he's a real point guard and he's just step by step taking, you know, he's just he's been an efficient player. 
he doesn't really have the huge wins. He kind of, you know, you kind of have to really be watching him to understand what he's doing. But, you know, he's improved each year. And he's another reason why the Cavs are right on the tails of those top three. And even with Mitchell being in and out, he makes sure that uh, it doesn't doesn't go downhill. But it's kind of funny because now we both have the two pairings of, you know, the probably the two other best duos in the East with you, with Bam and Butler, and me, with Mitchell and Garland. But um, I don't see anything wrong with the list. No, I think realistically these are the – I think these are the right picks. These are the best players. I think we could, you know, mix it up a little bit. We could have – you know, split it up a little bit better, but I think this is the right group of guys. And just like advanced numbers wise, offensively, what Garland's doing this season is advanced numbers wise, like kind of on par with what Mitchell's doing, you know, his scoring, shooting, playmaking combination is, you know, every bit as good as Mitchell is. Mitchell was 30 points a game and 40% from three, like, you know, most of the season up until the last couple of weeks, his numbers have dropped off a little bit, but both of those guys have been electric offensive players. And that's a tough choice between those three guys, but I'm very, very happy that Jalen Brunson has fallen into my lap. I was realistic with the last one. Drew holiday is hanging out there. If we're talking two way ability, if we're talking, have done it in the playoffs. You know, Drew Holiday has the pedigree, obviously. NBA champion, won the finals. But Brunson's recent run, we talked about it a little bit last week, but I just don't think it can be understated what Brunson has done since the new year. He is 30 points a game in 2023, over five and a half assists, 50% from the field, and 46% from three. Those numbers are actually better than the numbers he was putting up in that Jazz series last year. He was 27 points a game, four assists, and only 36% from three in that playoff series. That's the playoff series, you know. He dismantles the Jazz franchise. Luka Doncic is not even on the court. He's scoring over Rudy Gobert. The Jazz have to self-combust after that. He goes to New York. New York, are we overpaying Brunson? Are we giving him too much money? It's all because of that playoff series. And he's actually elevated his game. He's playing better now than he was playing then. And he's revitalized Julius Randle as well. Randle was an all-star this year and Brunson was not. And Randle was an all-star because of Brunson's appearance, you know, because of Brunson coming to that team. Randle's numbers are very similar to the numbers he put up when he was second team All-NBA in 2020, 2021. He was a 24, 10, and 6 guy that season, 45% from the field. And this season, he is 24, 10, and 4. So right back to where he was that year, 46% from 3. And if you remember last year, he's 20 points a game, 41% from the field. And really just that whole Knicks franchise felt like it was trending downward. They missed the playoffs. But they are 6 in the East right now, which means they would be missing the play-in game. and. That is because, again, Brunson has elevated his game to be he's become a scorer that, you know, we really thought we didn't know if he had that in his game. And he has shown that the last, you know, 20 games. It's a large sample size now. So I think Brunson's play cannot be understated. I think he should have been an all star, probably the biggest snub out there. And he is my next pick. 
arguably one of the best players left in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, no, I, I mean, only reason why I had Garland above is I don't know. Brunson will get cold, you know, um, whether it's just a hot streak for him or maybe it's just him taking another step. And maybe this is who he is now. So it will be interesting to see when once the playoffs rolls around, whether he can keep up this production. Because uh, it'll definitely, I mean, that's obviously when it matters. And, um, and Garland's a sneaky good defender as well. Like he comes into the league, you know, he's a little smaller. There's question marks there, but he really competes on that end. He's a mm. plus defender. Brunson has his question marks. But again, offensively, all the numbers for Brunson are great. And it's elevated that entire team. They are six in offensive rating since the new years. So that that whole contract, that just whole Brunson saga, it just looks way better now than it did a couple months ago. That contract actually gets cheaper as it goes along. It's only $26 million a year anyways, which if you look at the other point guard contracts in the, the league right now, Kyle Lowry is 35. He's making $28 million a year. Chris Paul at 36 is making 30. Younger guys like, you know, even De'Aaron Fox is making $30 million a year. Yeah. Trey Young is making over 40. You've got yeah. Lillard. He's going to be making over 50. And Brunson is offensively the numbers, the analytics, all that. Just right up there with the top guys in the league. And his contract looks good. I just can't say enough about Brunson's season. It's been awesome. I think that Knicks team, you know, we're talking about who are teams that could make a push at the end of the season. I just think with the East opening up a little bit and if Brunson continues this run, I think that team's just, it's going to be a tough out anyways. And there is really a chance that they miss the play-in game. I think they have a chance to stay at that sixth seed. And that's just a really impressive transformation. I'm glad that Jalen Brunson has been able to answer those question marks with his game. So, you know, two-way stuff, playoff stuff, you know, maybe you'd rather have Drew Holiday. Maybe he goes off the board here, but offensively Brunson since the new year been elite and it has to be mentioned. Yeah, no, he has been, and it definitely makes sense to take him. And, you know, it's just mostly what you're looking for, what you value. And um, yeah, considering that, you know, don't like, not probably not a biggest fan of Trey young or Randall anymore. Um, probably take a uh, drew holiday at this point, even though, Malcolm Brogdon does make a tough case. Personally, for me, I've been a personal fan of Brogdon um, just because of what he, how he carried. I mean, I think it always, he never really stated how much he carried those early Bucks teams when Giannis was trying to find his way in the playoffs. And him as, you know, rookie second, third year, you know, being the ball handler and going inside. And now they have Chris to do that. Now they have Drew Holiday to do that. But um, I've always been a huge fan of Brogdon, but Drew Holiday is still, you know, he still is has to be probably put above him. Um, just what he does night to night and um, how he pretty much kept this Bucks team afloat um, with, you know, with Giannis being in and out at times and being a little hard and Chris Milton being gone. And now they're all back together. But, you know, NBA champion, it's it's tough to take off that shine. He's, he's a, he does have a ring, and he definitely earned it. And just the two-way ability with him, the defensive level that he can go to. And again, you know you you know what you're getting from him in the playoffs. It's perfect complementary basketball, the shooting, the offense. 
the defense. He's just a guy you want on your team, and you know he's going to contribute to winning. It makes sense that they won the finals with him as a core guy, and it makes sense that if that core is healthy, you know, they should probably be the number one seed in the East. But, you know, you're bringing up Malcolm Brogdon. The board gets interesting at this point. There is a lot of young guys. You know, we've picked a lot of guys off of the top teams in the East. And I feel like those guys are starting to go went a little younger last time. So maybe I'll go back to the pedigree back to the guy with the accolades. I don't think it'll matter in the playoffs, but this team has made a little bit of a push. They're in the 10th seed in the East right now. So they're back in the playoff playing game hunt when they were out of it a couple weeks ago, Pascal Siakam, all NBA a couple years ago, you know, 25 plus, point of game night the raptors have had a mixed you know mixed emotion season for the raptors up and down but they're back in the play-in race maybe come play in time they could be feisty maybe they find a way to sneak in the playoffs but siakam scoring been an all-star made the all nba team he's kept it up this year the numbers that he's putting up this year are basically the same that they were in the run at the end of last year they were winning all those games that's the run that pushed him into that third team all NBA spot. So before some of the, before some of the other young guys start going off the board, we'll get another veteran Pascal Siakam. And this is where we're at right now. The 10th seed in the East Pascal Siakam's off the board. Yeah, that's definitely a great pick that I didn't even think of. You see that that's why, Hey, look, man, that's, that's why, uh, even if I catch you, what I thought I did catch you lacking you, that was a great pick. I don't know why, didn't think of spicy P, but yeah, definitely we are at that point where you start, you know, you start really looking down the line and you're like, yikes, there's there's uh some tough choices to be made here. Um, but you know, I guess taking a peek over at the all-star rosters, you know, I, I think it is, you know, maybe a little disrespectful. I haven't even said his name. Like you mentioned a little earlier, you know, his his team may not be racking up the wins. You know, maybe they need a maybe they'll get Juan Banyama over. But uh we got you know, we gotta always show love to the Iowa guys. Take Tyrese Halliburton at this point. Probably, you know, maybe the most efficient player on this list so far. He's kind of, you know, if you're you're a real basketball fan. You probably, you know, difference between casuals and people actually watching the games because, you know, what he does, um, what he does on the floor is just, you know, something that you can't really see on basketball reference. You kind of got to watch him play. And, um, but he's really, I mean, he's made this team interesting. Uh, you know, they're still going to be a tanking team, but with some of their pieces around him, I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of made this team look interesting. Yeah, I mean, they were really in the play and mix until he got hurt. And then that team obviously fell off. But, you know, we're making I was making the advanced statistics case for some of these guys earlier. Brunson, you know, you can make it with Garland. Offensively, Halliburton's probably better than all of those guys. But again, he got hurt. The team lost some games and now they've fallen off. And just in general, it's a younger team. You know, that timeline is not really at least this season, not concerned about having a winning season. So they'll, they'll take all the wins they can get. They'll take all the production they can get out of these young guys. But and Halliburton has led the league in assists for most of the year. 
He's been, you know, pretty much a 20 and 10 guy all season. So I think going forward, if we were doing a, who do you want to have in the East, like next five years, whatever, I think Halliburton maybe even goes higher than he does now, because uh, like we mentioned, the age, the IQ, the floor general ability, just the uniqueness and all that stuff. Like Halliburton's right up there with the best of those guys. But this season, his team is not competing in the playoffs. I think that's why I picked Brunson over Halliburton. But in a who do we want going forward draft? I would rather have Halliburton than Brunson. But for this season, since Brunson's team is a little higher in the playoff standings, I gave him the nod there. But yeah, Halliburton is every bit as good as the guys offensively that we've taken so far. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess we can both take one more guy because I have um, you took Butler, Adebayo, Brumson, and then who was your fourth guy? Siakam. Siakam. Okay, I guess we can do one more and fill out with five. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, now as we mentioned earlier, we're starting to hit the bottom here. Um, so yeah, I guess who who is your last pick? Um, Rem to join Team Rem. Well, I think we have to do him justice. His numbers are too impressive to ignore. Again, the que- the questions with this guy will arise. We don't even know what team he will be on in 2024 if he comes out and requests a trade this offseason. But what is I don't know what his numbers are this year, but he's 27 and 10. And if those shooting numbers go back up, Trey Young again can get hot. So we're at the point in the draft where, you know, with the ninth and tenth picks. I think it's respectable to his offensive game, you know, defense, teammate, whatever, all that stuff. But the scoring, the playmaking, I think it has to be recognized on this list. The accolade, you know, he's been in the all-star game a couple times as well. I I probably, I think he made all NBA last year as well. So Siakam was all NBA. I took him. Let's get the other all NBA guy off the board. Trey Young sneaking in at the end of the draft. Trey Young, all righty. Yeah, no, it's definitely. I remember when he was one of, you know, pretty much favorite guy to watch. And, you know, maybe if this was a couple of years back, we take Julius Randle here, but I was just heaping all this praise on him. And, you know, Brooke Lopez is probably having the best year in Milwaukee um, right now. You know, Derek White just had a great game. But I'm take, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I think I'll take Brogdon here. I just, I just, you know, I personally have always liked him. It's a little bit of a personal pick, but every time I watch him, you know, he may not, not to say he'll have a great game every time, but he kind of reminds me of Halberton before Halberton showed up. And Halberton has a way bigger ceiling, uh, higher ceiling, you know. But you know, if you gave Brogdon the shots, same kind of team, who knows? But I, I, they kind of both similar shooting styles, kind of both stiff. But, you know, if you're really watching them, they're aggressive when they need to be. And, you know, Brogdon's just fits his role. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've always – I think uh, Brogdon, he's definitely going to be a big piece for them in this playoffs. And I think he'll be a big reason why they'll make a return trip to the finals. Are you sure you want to take Malcolm Brogdon? I can give you a redo. You can take Evan Mobley. Oh, oh, oh. We can call he said, him the league. He said, double check your answer. Double Evan check Mobley's answer. out there. You can take the third cab off the board. Complete your core. Did they? I know you really like Mobley's defense. I 
there's just, I mean, with Mobley, he's, he, I mean, he's his ceiling is high. And, like, if this was the next five years, I'd probably take Mobley, not going to lie. But, like, just for right now, right now, if I needed someone to build a team around, I mean, you know, just just how inconsistent Mobley shooting is, it is up and down, um, you know. And, I mean, Mobley probably does make the biggest difference to a team. Um, you know, I guess there's still Bradley Beal left up there. Um, DeMar DeRozan is another player out there too. Um, so, you know, he's another interesting guy too. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I don't, maybe, I mean, DeMar DeRozan, I would probably consider right up there too as well, since he was number one option for the Bulls. I mean, they've just had an atrocious season this year, but he's still an all-star, still showed up, you know. So if there's probably an argument to be made, it's probably DeMar DeRozan um, instead of instead of Brogdon probably there. Um, it's just Brogdon hasn't had enough minutes to really <laughs> up his stats. Uh, but yeah, so I, I guess I guess we'll, well we'll we'll change it out. I'll put DeMar DeRozan as the fifth guy just because of production. You know, I don't, I don't I think Brogdon is still better than him. But we'll, we'll we'll put DeMar DeRozan. I think in terms of contributing to winning basketball. That's what I'd put Brogdon above. But I think DeRozan, yeah, he's not he's not quite washed up yet. Former Spur, so we'll let's show him a little love. I, I mean, Brogdon as your sixth man is definitely better than DeRozan as your number one. So I get that. But the DeRozan scoring and all that stuff, he was the next guy off my board, the pedigree. Uh, not going to matter in the playoffs. They're the 11th seed right now. Maybe he gets traded in the offseason, but... I mean, bro. I mean, once you once you get Demar off the board, once you go Bradley Beal. I mean, Chris stops if you want to pick another wizard, and then uh, you know Nick Claxton just as a defensive guy. Maybe Nick Claxton's defensive ceiling, like you legitimately maybe could talk yourself into it at this point. And uh, could I get Cade Cunningham? Cade Cunningham's twelve games. Yeah, Boncaro. It's our it's our game frisky here, you know. I don't start Lamelo. Yeah, I know. I was thinking Lamelo for a second too. I you know, it starts plummeting. But you know, all and Thomas. Say, I mean, all this to say, if you try even even for a little bit, even for five seconds, and try to do the same exercise, you know, you just take out the top three teams. I mean, it's you know. It's just ridiculous, you know, the amount of talent on the West side. I mean, you know, just looking at it, you know, you got Kawhi, Paul George, KD, Chris Paul, Kyrie, Doncic, you know, Pelicans have Zion. And we're not even talking about LeBron and Curry at the bottom. So it's, you know, it's far and away such a huge gap, you know, and we're out here arguing, you know, whether DeMar DeRozan, you know, I, I you know, Brooke Lopez, guys here at the top five. And the other side, they have Hall of Fame players fighting for those spots. So it's it's uh it's a pretty wide gap. And, and you know, we've we've had it. I mean, that's what we had when LeBron went made it to eight straight conference finals. But you know, I think I think the the gap is returning again. So we'll throw the question to you, Rem. And you know, I don't really have a reason. Maybe it's the warmer weather. Maybe it's California, Texas. You know, stuff like that. But why does this keep happening? Because I don't, you know, it, it's just so weird to see, again, the league shift so heavily to the West. Yeah, I don't know if there, there's really a rhyme or reason to it. The stars have just moved over there. I mean, you maybe the markets are over there. 
you know, you have both the LA teams have been able to grab superstars Phoenix as like a sneaky big market team now with a big owner, new owner coming in, you know, maybe, maybe that's a, maybe, uh, you know, they're throwing assets around getting Durant, Dallas as well. You know, maybe it's maybe, maybe there's something there, but it just, I, it's the luck of the league. I think it's just kind of how the dominoes fell and, you know, now the other Brook, now these other Eastern Conference teams where, you know, we talked about Brooklyn, Cleveland, obviously in the draft we just did, has shown up. These young teams that are deep, that have a lot of players, I think are really going to have a chance to shine. So if we put everybody else from the conference just back on the table, you have two guys to fill out your starting five. So the, the three guys, obviously Giannis, Tatum, and Bead are going to be your top three in the conference, but starting five for the conference, who else do you want to throw out there next to him? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Once you have those guys, I think uh, Jalen Brown has to be thrown there. Um, I think just because of his two wayness. So then you're down to one and you have Chris Middleton or Harden. And then I guess whoever Yeah, we didn't even draft Harden. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would, I probably wouldn't take Harden, but you know, you know, we already know his past pedigree. So I, I think it'd be between Chris Middleton or either Chris Middleton, Mitchell, or Butler probably for that last spot. And um, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with uh, Mitchell just because of you know his just how high he can reach. But you know, those other two are probably yeah, that's probably the th- five guys we'd have those three, and then you know Jalen Brown and and Mitchell, but it's, it's tough. Big loser of the Eastern conference shift then is Joel Embiid. Because if you look at the rest, if you look at the other two teams, I mean, you take Embiid off the table, Tatum, Brown, Giannis, Middleton, Drew holiday. Those might be the other like five, six best guys in the Eastern conference, just straight up. And then, you know, bam, Jimmy, Mitchell Garland Mobley, like we just talked about all those guys, but no. the, the depth of the six, I mean, they're, they're having a run right now. I think with Giannis, you know, expected to miss time Curry expected to miss time as well. Like the MVP run is really going to come down to Jokic. It's going to come down to Jokic and Embiid again, like it has the last couple of years. And when we get into playoffs, you know, with the Sixers team that they have assembled, they just don't have enough guys. Harden there is the number two. I know like sneakily some of the advanced numbers with him, some of the efficiency stuff with him is a little bit better than it has been in the past couple of years. The shooting numbers are up a little bit, but in the playoffs, him is a number two. Neither of us trust that. And and B just once again, I think he's the big loser here. I think he's going to come up short. I just don't think there's enough on the Sixers when you look at the rest of these teams and go, oh yeah, the up. the stars just from the rest of these teams kind of picked off and shipped out. The fact that the, the, the fact that the rest of the best players are in the conference are obviously, you know, on the best teams, except for ends beads team and beads team. Uh, unfortunate for our boy over there. Yeah, it is rough. And, um, you know, it kind of, it kind of rests all on Tyrese Maxi, which is kind of a lot for a young guard like that. Um, but he's kind of their only hope because Tobias Harris has shown, you know, we, this pod for years on years has (laughs) 
kind of been the Tobias Harris truthers. You know, we've we've always kind of not been a super huge fan, at least me personally. So, you know, outside of that, like you mentioned, it's it's rough for this team because I don't even know where you would draft James Harden. I mean, you know, I th- I think we take like nine, ten, fifteen players maybe before him. It's it's tough. It's tough. So. Yeah, I mean, he might have been the next player off the board, but he's still just, I mean, I think the playoff pedigree at this point is going to push him down at that point where we would just much rather have Bam and Jimmy, you know, Garland and Mitchell, the two-way upside that even Garland and Mitchell have shown that they have. I know they don't bring it every night. I know Mitchell especially has his inconsistencies, but he's at least gotten... You know, he's at least been there and competed defensively, whereas Harden obviously just has a history of not doing that. So in the playoffs, I think we'd rather much rather have those stars. I just the the Harden pedigree at this point and the history of all all that with the age, with the tummy. I think it all just adds <laughs> up. It's too much. Not the tummy, not the tummy. But yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. So, you know, but hey, it might even strengthen MB's case for MVP. You know, push it even higher because he'll be the only one on his team doing anything. So that'll be an interesting storyline to watch. But um, we got to always mention a little bit about the biggest sport in America, football, a little NFL. Offseason is here. Might get into a little draft next week. We'll see if we can get a guest on here. But this week... The coaches carousel is riding round and round, and the candidates are coming off the board. The enemy going to the Washington football team, but that's not the team we care about. The Colts get Shane Steichen. Look like look like the Eagles coordinators are definitely going to be gone. Kind of surprised that Spags didn't get an offer at all. Maybe he got some interviews, but hey, I don't mind. Um. You know, what? what's the feeling with Steichen? It, it looks like you got the better out of the two with some of the videos coming out about John, you know, and his uh, goofy self. Well, and just the season that the Eagles defense had, obviously. We've covered it here schematically. That, that t- defense, super talented, pro bowlers all over the place, super deep. But schematically, they were not aggressive. They were not you know, they were, there was not a lot of complex concepts on that defense. It was not hard for a quarterback to come in there and figure them out. And, you know, even with the, even with the tent, the talent was the reason that defense performed well. So when you look at that Arizona hiring, it just, it follows the pattern that they have of hiring these head coaches. They did it with Cliff Kingsbury, who was a coach that produced because he had talent. He had Pat Mahomes at Texas tech and, he even struggled to get win wins with Pat Mahomes. They weren't like a very good team, but the offense was still good and it was enough to get him the job. And it feels like they've done a little bit of the same thing here with Gannon, but you know, the Steichen thing, it, you know, he's in the vein of what the Colts like to do. I think Frank Wright is obviously a Frank Wright is a very good head coach. I still like Frank Reich. I think that Panther Panther situation is probably a better football situation for him, but Steichen does a lot of the same same things that Reich does. I mean, Steichen comes, you know, he's Sirianni's assistant. Sirianni was Frank Reich's offensive coordinator, so 
He's directly connected to Frank Reich. And, you know, the one thing that Frank Reich did kind of struggle with was his play calling near the red zone. Like some of his game script stuff was a little bit weird. He would make questionable decisions from time to time on fourth downs. You know, he's he'll put a good offense out there. They never gave him a good quarterback, and he was still able to get production out of those guys. But some of the game script stuff with him was confusing. Steichen doesn't really have those problems. It felt like the play calling that he had with Jalen Hurts felt like it was really good. Felt like the sequence that they put together, you know, the play and then the counter to the play and the play after that. Steichen has a good mind for all that stuff. I do like the hiring, but the Colts are in a position where it's going to come down to how much is Ursay influencing the decisions that are being made? Because when owners overstep their bounds, obviously this is when overs when owners overstep their bounds, this is where things go bad for the teams. And Ursay is beginning to do it. He did it with the Frank Reich hire. And I know Ballard has a questionable history. I have my doubts about his abilities in the draft, his abilities in free agency, but just as, you know, a good culture, a good football situation, how do you want to see a football team run? Owners that are acting like Ursay own this, the, these things rarely ever bear out to winning situations. So it's going to come down to, you know, can Ursay back off? Can Ursay let the people make, make the decisions? And if they need to go, you know, he'll change that. Let's get new faces in there if that needs to happen. But I do like, the Steichen hiring at the end of the day, I think offensively he'll be able to grow with a new quarterback, which I think is going to be obviously the big thing going forward for the Colts. We have to figure out the quarterback position. Yeah, no, I I mean, that's the number one thing for y'all. The number one thing on the, uh, on the, not the draft list, off season list. Now going, now that you got a coach, now that you got someone to, Shepard, y'all, I mean, you know, my personal, I think y'all should try to get the number one pick. Shouldn't be too many assets to move up since you have the fourth, but it will be interesting to see what you guys decide to do um, in this future. And, you know, with Shane Steichen, like you mentioned, the offense was really rolling. Definitely better out of the two coordinators to go out and get. And, um, yeah, it's definitely uh, – Hopefully we'll see you guys move on up some other just as a little review um, for the other teams. The former coach that you all have, Frank Reich, goes over to the Panthers. Broncos get Sean Payton. Texans get DeMarco Ryans. Um, I thought my my thing that I liked was actually not the head coaching decisions, but some of the coordinator decisions that I think that may run under the radar but could really make really improve some teams this next year uh i really like seeing kellen moore going to the chargers i think he could really help herbert take that next step which you know as a chiefs fan i kind of don't want to see that but they i mean i think he could really um help herbert tap into that next level of being you know moving up a level also vic fangio to the dolphins he's shown he's proven to be a very good defensive coordinator and with that defense, you know, as they figure out their stuff on offense, they've, I mean, I think they got a pretty set um, with Tua with those guys outside and, or if they move on from Tua, but I mean, their offense is rolling pretty well. Um, and so if they can keep that defense at an elite level, that team's going to be tough to beat. And Brian Flores to the Vikings, the defensive coordinator, 
Later, Brian Flores got done dirty with the Dolphins, as we all know, literally getting offered paid to lose, according to him. Him being back as a defensive coordinator with a team that, again, also their offense is their strength. Um, you know, Justin Jefferson, I think he won offensive player of the year. Kirk Cousins, you know, starting to trust him more. They got Hawkinson, who's shown some moments, and now with the whole offseason, he'll be in that offense even more. Dalvin Cook, Madsen. So their offense is set, and maybe they can bring along their young defense to continue to dominate the NFC North because they're probably going to be the team to run that um, division for a while. And um, also with Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator of the Pats, I, you know, I always like when head coaches move from head coaching to coordinating jobs because now they can focus on one thing. Bill Burton has succeeded in the Patriots system before. He's from that tree. A little bit rough once he started coaching the Texans. I think he also had a stretch with Alabama for a little bit there. But now he's back in New England with Belichick. So hopefully he can also help Mac Jones take that next step. So a lot of these guys, you know, either, you know, either helping improve the defense or, you know, coming in and helping a young quarterback take that next step. And, um, yeah, I think I think the, a lot of them, they'll go under the radar, especially with the Chargers. Um, Kellen Moore to the Chargers does scare me because I mean, he had some pretty decent, you know, plays and stuff drawn up with Dak Prescott. And now he gets what, you know, some consider generational talent. I think I think he definitely you know, um, Herbert has all the tools. He just got to go out there and win games. And um, I think more is a very good step in the right direction for him. Hopefully he can be more aggressive than the Chargers were offensively this year, because I don't know what they were doing. We would have to go back and dig into the, you know, depth of target stats, the distance on the completion stats, all that stuff. But it felt like the Chargers offense was very just lackluster and conservative all season for really no reason when you have Justin Herbert. So we saw Kellen Moore unlock Dak Prescott with CeeDee Lamb, with Pollard there as well. He knows how to get these skill guys involved. And Eckler has been able to produce elite seasons the last couple of years, especially in fantasy. And this Kellen Moore thing might actually make Austin Eckler better. Like I'm the age thing, whatever, you know, can he continue to keep it up? But Kellen Moore unlocked Pollard there and Eckler is Pollard, but maybe a little bit better skill wise. And you get him every down, like he's going to be out there every play. So Eckler could have a big year next year. Hopefully he can get the receivers involved as well. Cause that Chargers team is talented. The offensive line with Slater coming back is going to be able to protect Herbert. So I, I agree. And hopefully it can, it gives Staley more time to focus on game managing decisions because we know that's where Staley thrives when he's thinking about clock management, timeouts, challenging fourth down. Staley's Staley's so good at all that stuff, and he's going to be able to get the Chargers to the playoffs, right? Because that's what Staley's done the last couple of years. This Chargers roster is so talented. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they've gotten there, but they haven't done anything. So, and it's kind of funny to, you know, mention that they are as aggressive this year because the year before they couldn't stop going for it on fourth down. So, I think it's just being more efficient in the way they do it, similar to your guys' head coach, Steichen, who, you know, pretty much just used the one strength from the team in their fourth down and just ran it up in the middle. And, you know, now people are mentioning there may be rules to change it just because of how overpowered it is. So, your head coach, might have you know made history in the league, true, you know, true when drawing up plays. So, 
we'll see. I mean, it's it's um it's a lot of new faces and new places. Well, not super new faces, but you know, oh, I think a lot of new opportunities for a lot of coaches and um, you know, as the league continues to get more aggressive. And yeah, what fun. The AFC gets even the AFC West gets even better. So, you know, AFC in general. It's like uh, the uh Bill O'Brien to New England as well, because yeah. Mac Jones definitely took a step back last year, but I don't know if it's because I don't know if either of us are out on Mac Jones yet. I still would give him another year. And I think mm-hmm. Bill O'Brien is a much more competent offensive coach having him in there. I mean, Mac Jones was just going nuts on the sidelines. You know, what are these plays? What are, what are we running here? Can we actually throw the ball down the field? Getting Bill O'Brien in there, I think will actually help with that. But this also kind of feels like the first move post Brady where New England has sort of taken the power out of Belichick's hands because I mean, Bill O'Brien is a New England guy, but that coaching staff last last year was clearly just like all Belichick dudes, guys he picked out, guys he wanted just to, I don't know, be around whatever, but guys that he wanted on his coaching staff. And it's like, okay, now we actually have to send Bill, you know, we have to assemble a real coaching staff here. We need to take this coaching staff seriously. Let's get some real offensive hires in here. So just long-term Bill Belichick, this feels like New England kind of taking some power away from him. Yeah, and, you know, there's always been that little, you know, kind of tussle between them, you know, between Belichick and um, and and that front office, you know, or in the recent years to figure out who's really in charge you know, Belichick is set in his ways. It's, I mean, I don't know what the future is with the Patriots. They're, they're kind of, I mean, they have Mac Jones, but how much longer can they have run, ride this Bill Belichick train? Because it doesn't really seem like there's a great succession plan. I mean, I guess maybe Patricia, but I, I don't know if that'll really help them improve that much more. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of sad, but you know, it's the Patriots. So I don't feel bad, <laughs> but, um, that should be about it, unless you wanted to add something. I guess we could do a little Frisbee corner. Um, uh, let me see here. I guess on the coordinators, uh, Frank Reich, of all the new coaches right now, Frank Reich has probably assembled the best staff. He has Thomas Brown from the from Sean McVay's staff as his offensive coordinator. Ejiro Evero, the Broncos defensive coordinator, really liked him. He interviewed for a lot of head coaching positions. He's there as the defensive coordinator. They also have Jim Caldwell and Dom Capers in advisory roles and just a bunch of young guys on the staff there as well. So I just kind of like that situation in general for Frank Reich. I think Tepper just, you know, in the interviews, in the meetings, in the lunches that these guys are having, the conversations that these guys are having, like prior to getting the job, the interviews, you know, Tepper is watching what Ursay is doing over there in Indy. He knows that Frank Reich is coming from what is potentially, you know, a dysfunctional situation in Indianapolis. So Tepper, Tepper knows like, Hey, I need to give this guy freedom. I need to give this staff freedom to operate. These guys need to be here for the long haul. And we need to get stability. We need to find something at the quarterback position long term so it feels like the moves that they're making they're actually gearing frank reich towards something long term which he never had an indie 
it was constant turnover every year at the quarterback position. So who knows if they'll find it in the draft this year. They're sitting at number nine. Maybe they'll trade up. You know, we'll get into draft season and all that. But gearing up for the long term, I really like this Panther situation. And I really like the staff that he has assembled over there. Just at top to bottom, I really like a lot of the coaches that he has. Yeah, no, that'll be uh, pretty interesting for Reich. You know, it's his, I think it's his third head coaching job, right? I don't know, maybe, maybe he's done more. I think it's just his second. His second? Okay. I think okay. Indy was the first head coach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it now is his second. second. You are correct. Um, But, uh, yeah, shout out to your old coach. We'll, we'll have to see how he does. Um, How it goes with the Panthers, you know. Hopefully they can actually commit to him long term, you know. And it's kind of a rebuilding project, so, you know. Maybe he'll get the best out of Baker Mayfield. Unlock something. Who knows? Um, Unlock Sam Darnold. Yeah, there you go. Hey, look, I still have like one little stock left. You have the last share of Sam Darnold stock remaining. You know, no one wants to buy it. I'm just on the street corner, like you got. You know, I'm trying to slip it into some other stocks I'm selling. There's no other shares that exist. I think they burned all the other shares. You just have this one. One share, one lonely share all by myself. Um uh but. shout out, shout out to Reggie Wayne. Uh Shane Steichen, bring him back. He was the wide receivers coach last year. Love to have the former indie guys on there. Obviously, you know, maybe don't make the former indie guys the head coach always, but bring back Reggie Wayne. Mm-hmm. Liked him as the wide receivers coach. Jim Bob Cooter's in there as the offensive coordinator, one of the great names in the NFL. But Bring back Reggie Wayne. Do you want to rate Jeff Saturday's goodbye out of 10 for his uh, one win? Oh, it, it, it was a 10 out of 10. We knew what okay. he was doing. We knew what he was doing there. We know why he was brought in. I mean, go follow Rem and Sam on Instagram because there's a post on there. You know, we, we, we know they're bringing in Jeff Saturday to tank. And it was drama. It was theatrics. He played it up to the very end. It was a dramatic goodbye. So I well-deserved came in, fired everybody up. It was a fun story and uh, got us the fourth pick in the draft. So the saga only continues from here because what we do with this pick will determine if the Jeff Saturday, you know, era, the Jeff Saturday, a game era was worth it. So the off season is the next step. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is the next step. And we'll hopefully take that next step next week as the combine starts on Tuesday. Start seeing some news out of there as some teams start making start making rumblings. There's always combine rumblings, people moving up and down the leaderboards, stuff like that. Who's popping off? You know, I, I think Bryce Young might take a huge hit, but we'll see. You know, those tangibles are, are not going to be looking pretty. I think I think uh, Alabama has them listed as six foot. 192 but i'm hearing people saying yeah that's crazy but anyway yeah i think he'd actually have to go up and wait to fight you so we'll we'll see what he measures out at yeah it'll be interesting to see him can't hide you can't hide from the combine they 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 know how to measure them there's a lot of cameras so but uh also shout out as always to the iowa ultimate frisbee team we are headed to tulsa this weekend Taking on some decent teams, teams around our level. So um, we're ranked sixth right now. We're seated sixth out of, I think, 30 teams. I don't know, maybe 20 teams. And um, You said six? You know, 
Sixth. Yeah, yeah. We nice. were yeah, it's a it's a it's a solid tournament, but um, you know, we're, we're 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 thinking we can win it. We can definitely compete in there. Um, we have um we're going up against a couple other local colleges. Yeah, it's six out of twenty. Um, in our pool, you know, for anyone who's interested at all, uh, we got Missouri, uh, Texas, their B team, Rice, and Oklahoma State University. So um we should we should beat them all. Hopefully Missouri's ranked above us. They're like third in the in the in the, the whole competition. But um yeah, we get thankfully the first day we get the first round by so we can show up late. We can get a little extra Z's, get a little, little extra rest. We don't have to play Missouri to the last game and we have our easiest opponent before then. So hopefully our stars can get some rest before then. You know, I'll be playing a lot of minutes in that easy game. You know, I don't but um yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be it'll be a fun time. It'll be you know, there's a thousand dollar bounty, thousand dollar prize to win it all. So we're definitely pushing for it. And um, and our main objective for most of these is so each region gets a certain number of bids. Just a little refresher. Each each region gets a certain number of bids to nationals. And the last couple of years we've had only two bids to nationals. So we're hoping to win enough tournaments to get a third one. Um, because we have like a pretty strong top two. They're like, those top two are like top 10 in the nation. I think they're actually ranked top six or seventh, um, in, in the nation right now. So we're hoping to catch Wisconsin. Who's that third team. They're like 15th in the nation. They're, they're pretty, they're really good. They've, they've really took a jump up the last couple of weeks and hopefully get fight for that third bid. Cause it's, yeah, it's going to be really tough to try to beat Minnesota or Carlton, but Yeah. It's looking like a fun weekend down in Oklahoma. Hopefully better weather than here up in Iowa. Icy roads. Watch out there, folks. But, uh, yeah, shout out. Shout out, Frisbee. you guys worry about rest over rust at all with your first round by, or do you think you got the Andy Reid karma, the, like, 20 and whatever, the 90% win percentage? But yeah, the first round worried. by is clutch. We're not worried too much about rust. Our first game, you know, we we're, we're, not, we're not facing up. We're not thankfully we're not facing the best team we'll play that day first. So we should be able to smooth into it, get into it. And um, you know, hopefully it'll be our first outside tournament of the year. So that'll be nice to be on some real grass. I'm not gonna lie, the turf has been hurting my knees. So it's it's not it'll be nice to be on some real grass, be out there in the sun. And yeah, I've been I've been missing being outside. It'll be it'll be nice. And I've never been to Tulsa, so if you got any tips, you know, let us know. Is like OKC on the way? Do you guys go through OKC at all? Do you see the Thunder Stadium? I don't. I don't know if it is, but um, you get a uh, Pache on the street. Pache, yeah, maybe, maybe dab him up. Who knows? I, I'm not 100 percent sure because we do have Oklahoma Christian playing, but I'm not. I'm not sure if we'll pass by Oklahoma City. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure where Oklahoma City is. I think it might be further south. We'll get IT on it real quick, but uh, how many miles from Tosa to Oklahoma City? Yeah, exactly. How flexible um, are the minutes in your guys's lineup? Like, if you come out and you perform, and you have like, and you know, you get super hot, you come out in that like first game, and you like perform really well. Like, what are the odds that like the minutes just get up like right away? Yeah, so I'm one of the rotation players. Thankfully, this year I have actually had my minutes up a little bit because you know just getting reps. But pretty much how it works balling. with frisbee, yeah, a little, little ball and just mostly just spending time playing. Like I just needed time to learn the game. But uh, 
mostly how it works with frisbee is that there's there's like um it's it you take turns scoring and so you have an o-line and then you have several d lines uh defensive lines um and so the o-line if they do their job and they score then we go on defense well what ha- t- sometimes happens when you know you know crap hits the fan is when the o-line gets rid of the disc and then or they lose the disc and then they get scored on and then they have to go out there over and over and over so the minutes vary um based on how well the team is playing if they're playing pretty decent and we're like trading back and forth then usually they'll change out through several d lines defensive lines to go um and play um and if we're playing really really well which we'll have one or two games this weekend for sure i I know we've already played the lowest ranked team in our division we've already played and we dusted them badly um but and that i think that was yeah that wasn't even no that was our 18 but we weren't trying as hard but anyway it, it, so then in that case then only our d-line will be playing because you know we keep what we say what we call breaking them because we keep scoring on their um and then that's why we have several d-lines so they can change them out and then once in a while if it's that many where it's five or six points they'll throw o-line guys out there to keep not being rusty but so that's why yeah it's usually like taking turns and um yeah so pretty much in frisbee i mean we go to 13 and so that's why you know a break is the worst thing that can happen because you know you mess up that back and forth so yeah, it's it's mostly based on how well you're playing, and O line tend to be the best seven players on your team. Now there are you know players who may be better are on D line just because they're more athletic. It makes more sense to put them on D line kind of thing. Um, but usually you want your seven most experienced players on O line, and then the D line, you know, your number one D line, and then second D line. So who knows? Well, we'll have to see. It'll it'll be it'll be fine. I, there'll definitely be some games where. You know, I'll be sweating a lot because I'll be playing a lot. And there'll be some games where I'll be cheering a lot. So, well, it'll be it'll be a fun time. It's definitely it's definitely fun. Yeah. But it's it's a good rotation. Usually, usually a good number of the team plays. Usually everyone ends up playing at least two or three points. So it's it's really rare you don't have anyone playing. And in that case, the team is losing really, really badly. And the O-line is just getting broken over and over, which I've been at. But it, it's a rough. Those are rough. Do they have an MVP you can go for? Um, like an MVP, like a one guy on the team, or like a tournament MVP? Um, they don't usually give out an MVP of the tournament. Uh, you know, there is like at the very highest level, there is a website that does cover all frisbee, Ulti World. So then they will like do breakdowns, like at nationals or like huge events. They'll be like, oh, you know, this was the breakout player of the year. They do also do all region um, players, like also, you know, they do rank players. So, you know, there is, I mean, Ulti World, they do, I mean, shout out to them. They do a great job of covering the sport. Um, pretty much they're the ESPN of, uh, of Frisbee. I mean, you know, anything you need about Frisbee. They film a lot of the big matchups. We have one game film from last year. I wasn't at it, but it was our spring break down in Texas, uh, our one game against Dartmouth, which, you know, that was a highly contested game. That was a whole mess and a half. Um, they, yeah, they were a mess, but not, not Iowa, but the other team, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there are, they do rank for bigger ones, but for small ones, it's just, you know, go out there and have fun and, you know, just win it all. That's pretty much it. I, yeah, I, you, you have to be in the running for sure. For sure. Been balling. Nah, 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 not even, nah, not for my team. Not that close, but you know, who knows? Well, you know, maybe, maybe if we're like rolling teens and like my stats, like I'm, I'm, because I do tend to be a poacher a lot. 
So like my stats do actually look really efficient because I do end up scoring a lot just because of, you know, I, I tend to be like the poacher. So, you know, and I do have like turnovers once in a while. Usually I'll cover their fast. So it's boom or bust usually with my stats because I usually cover their like speedy guy. So they'll huck it up to him. So either he catches it and gets a kajillion yards or he does it. And then I get a D on my like stats. So it's usually feast or famine with my stats. So. You know, if if it's feasting, you know, yeah, I've had I've had some nice, nice, uh, nice stat lines, but usually I'm my advanced stats are pretty, pretty nice, pretty nice. I would. Well, ask. I mean, put your put your frisbee team in the Eastern Conference, and maybe there go. maybe we're taking Sam in the draft. Who knows? There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll have to see. I don't know. I I yeah. Right now, I'm just trying to push for rotation minutes on D line. Elon Cutter get in because usually they need so that's a nice thing with Frisbee is that it's like seven players so like there's four D-line cutters on their first line so once I crack that and get decent minutes and you know earn it it'll be yeah we'll see we'll see maybe maybe we'll make something happen but um you know it's it's continuing the march to nationals um but yeah we definitely have high expectations for this tournament and we know we can do it so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun time long drive but fun time good luck Good luck. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, that should be about it for the pod. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the Instagram where Rem is putting in hours. You can see the beautiful work on Rem and Sam. Follow the Instagram. Like all the reels. Comment in the reels. You know, let us know. I'm reading them. You know, I, I felt, you know, maybe once in a while I felt like clapping back. You know, who knows? But you got to control yourself. But, uh, you know, you, you just let us know. Let us know how you, what you want to see. Um, you know, DM us. Let us know ideas for the pod, anything. So, but yeah, thanks for the love. I think a couple, beginning of February, we had two reels that in four days that had like over 10K views. So we see y'all. We saw, see y'all showing love. And um, we love to see it. So, yeah, not quite new heights, but we're getting there. We're almost there. So, Thanks, thanks for listening, and yeah, check out for the next episode.